Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, I am recording for Contrarian's Corner, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. The director of The Godfather presents Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Bram Stoker was the <laughs> porn star of the day, of the, the late 1800s. Uh, hello, and welcome back to The Contrarian's, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always and now regularly, remotely. My co-host and cohort, Julio. Julio, it's actually a, a very pleasant evening tonight. It was a nice day in Austin, Texas. How are you doing? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you. The only time I went outside was to uh, grab a uh, a delivery of cat food, and it was really hot. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll take your word for it that it was nice outside. It really cooled down tonight. So I, did you? Did you go out for a stroll? It's Wednesday, so I got to take the trash out and shit, and I took the dog out, and yeah. so I was just a big fan of it. Anyway, here nor there, uh, not hot. It looks like it's just a, an endless series of chilling evenings in Transylvania and uh, <laughs> late 1800s or uh, somewhere between the 1400s and early 1900s London in today's feature film as we continue on the summer of Winona as we uh, welcome this is Francis Ford Coppola's first appearance on The Contrarians, correct? Yes, it took over 100 episodes, but I don't think we've even mentioned him before. That's just how, how hard to get we were playing. Well, he never returned our emails until recently. We tried to cover every one of his movies, and then it wasn't until the summer of Winona that he came in here. Um, it was the, the clash of quarantine plus the summer of Winona. It's like, well. <laughs> the perfect storm. <laughs> Uh, 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula. One of the first things I learned in researching this movie, because I was always curious where the Dracula story began, and that was a 19, or excuse me, an 1897 novel called Dracula by Bram Stoker. So, of course, I think most of the general public gets the idea of the Blair and Bela Lugosi <laughs> Dracula. And I don't think they're entirely sure where it comes from. So uh, Francis Ford Coppola answers that question for you right in the title of his goddamn movie. So it doesn't take too much effort. <laughs> yeah. So we are here today to discuss this as the summer Winona marches on. This is a bonus episode. If this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, we thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're a returning listener, lend us a moment here while we explain our gimmick to the newbies. Uh, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we say. Uh, find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, often known as Certified Fresh. Make a case for why it should maybe be taken down a peg or two. Uh, conversely, find a movie that is usually 30% or below, 
known as Rotten, make a case for its positive merit. This is a bonus episode. Uh, so the... Uh, the threshold. <laughs> the, yeah, the percental rating uh, on this doesn't usually apply to us. 71%, but it's on the, you know, the brighter side of the coin. Uh, the head side, so to speak. So we're going to go ahead and treat this as though it were certified fresh and we'll be uh, cutting Gary Ullman down to size here. Yeah. I mean, it was Coppola finally returned our calls and he said, will you do uh, my Dracula movie? And I was like, well, we're not going to argue about the, the Rotten Tomatoes percentage. And I was like, does it have we know a writer in it? Yes. Okay. Qualifies. So expect us to uh, make a case for maybe why it shouldn't have been, you know, you know that 71% more specifically why it shouldn't have gotten those four Oscar nominations. Uh, but if you want to know how we really feel about this uh, sexual thriller, I don't know. <laughs> blood. Like it's, I have the words blood orgy in my notes at one point. I would Already, call it sexual horror. It, whatever it is, it's sexual. So you're, you got yes. the, the first word correctly. This sexual it definitely, Coppola movie. It brings the sex back to uh, the Dracula story. To the 1800s. To <laughs> widely heralded as the sexiest millennium. <laughs> the, the 1800s. All that repression meant that when you finally got going, you went for a while. Uh, century. Millennium is a thousand years. But, I mean, even then, the sexiest millennium, I think, was, you know. <laughs> in between it was pr- definitely pre prior to 2000 <laughs> prior to 2000 we never had toby Maguire dancing in uh spider-man 3 so that that killed all sexual appetite for an entire millennia so typically uh here on the contrarians when we go into a movie uh, on both sides of the equation we pull some quotes from critics from rotten tomatoes uh, to kind of set the table for what we're getting into. Uh, for the summer of Winona, we've reached out to the podcasting community and some of our friends at large uh, to contribute some thoughts on the matter. And it sounds like we had a, a, a sellout, a turnaway crowd that wanted to get their two cents in for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, I think that anybody that, that has watched the movie has opinions. That, <laughs> you know, they might be negative or positive. We have two of each. Um, so for... For this part, we're going to do the positive ones. Uh, we're going to start with somebody we haven't heard yet. Uh, Steve and Izzy from Everything I Learned from Movies. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve. And I'm Izzy. And we're with Everything, Everything I, I Learned from, from movies. movies. And tonight. Oh, tonight. Oh, uh, we are helping out the contrarians by giving our uh, <laughs> our opinions about Bram Stoker's Dracula in this summer of Winona. Woo! Uh, this movie's fucking awesome. This is like... One of the best vampire movies. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. It's one of the best. I like the weird practical special effects. Oh my god, and... yes. Oh my god, that weird opening with the yeah. puppets. It's so oh, good, yeah. though. Oh, and all the... Yeah, yeah. just everything about the effects is great. Um, yeah. I mean, Winona's great. Uh, Keanu's yeah. accent is questionable. Winona is a shining star compared to that accent. It really is. But overall, this movie is so enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, Gary Oldman, Anthony yeah. Hopkins, the oh, fucking yeah. cast is stacked. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola, you're a oh goddamn God. genius. Everything in the insane asylum, everything that is all perfection. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Tom Waits in there. You, you know what? I'll say it right here. Francis Ford Coppola, second best Coppola in the world. Don't let Christopher hear that. Eh, he's okay. It's, 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 it's his uncle. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, 
rousing review. <laughs> not to not to get too far ahead, but I I think that they let the stunt casting blind them a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you watch, you see that poster, you you read the names on it, and and it's easy to just fall in love without even watching the movie. Uh, but does it hold up? We'll see. Uh, our second positive clip, we we heard him last week opening up his heart. Gerald from Two Peas on a Pod, he uh, he told us about how he ended up marrying a woman that kind of looked like Winona Ryder. And uh, his yes. his clip here, uh, it, it goes even further, not about his personal life, but about his feelings for, for Winona's hotness. Julio, Alex, the Contrarians, what's up? It's Gerald again from Two Peas. Listen, the summer of Winona is hot. It is sizzling. And you guys are a big part of that. Thank you so much for this just endless entertainment. When it comes to Winona Ryder, a few films jump to mind right away. And one of them is Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, one of the greats, starring one of the greats, Gary Oldman, in the titular role is just amazing. Anthony Hopkins is in this. But guys, how hot is Winona Ryder? Now look, this is Creepy Gerald coming out perhaps, but Winona as Mina is peak hotness uh you have this kind of vintage renaissance winona rider wearing these corsets and beautiful dresses and she's just so beautiful and so sexy as is this movie this movie is a very sexy horror romance and you do not get that very often no i do not count the twilight films so you rarely get a horror romance crossover and that's what the you know, historically, the story of Dracula is, and it's brought to such vibrant life here. It is scary at times, but it's never unbeautiful. It is a very beautiful movie, and let's be honest, so is Winona Ryder. I love her, and her beauty shines through in this movie. Uh, this is peak hot Winona right here, guys. So, Julio, Alex, I love you guys. I love Winona. I love Dracula. Thanks for listening to me. Take care, guys. I may be reading between the lines here, but I think... Gerald finds Winona attractive. It, it is. It appears that way, and may have a few points of contention on that one. <laughs> but but he did answer your question though. The, the the category for this movie is sexual horror romance. Horror romance. There you go. It really lays it on thick with the with the love story, if if nothing else, that and the gore. I mean, yeah, Winona's pretty, but you've got fucking Sadie Frost in this, Monica Bellucci, Carrie Ells. I mean, Keanu Reeves. It's yeah, <laughs> Keanu's there. <laughs> you can't dispute his presence in the movie. <laughs> he he is absolutely a person that is in this movie. I'll give him that. Now, I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but it's. Uh, I felt bad. There's a little bit more real talk that concerns corner. I felt bad that the, the trailer. They try so hard to just cut him out of the movie. <laughs> they show, I mean, he's third billing, I think, fourth maybe after Hopkins. But uh, if you watch the trailer, you would think that he has a small part, and he's one of the main characters. Because yeah. I, I think that they could tell that it wasn't it wasn't working out. It's a uh, shit. What was that Shia LaBeouf movie, Fury, where he was in it? But then, like the whole marketing campaign oh, was trying to convince movie, you right? that he yeah. wasn't in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So moving along to Contrarian's Corner, moving back to 1992. November 13th of 1992. Ooh, a Friday the 13th. Look at that. Um, Moving back way before that to 1462, we open Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula with uh, fucking sexy Gary Oldman. I think that's my very first (laughs) note. 
Oh, uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. My first note is the old school Columbia Pictures signature, which I appreciated setting the mood for obviously a movie that was supposed to harken back to uh, earlier days of. I don't know if this was supposed to. Obviously, it's presented differently than, you know, the the Golden Age Universal Monster movies. But obviously, I think with that signature, they were trying to put your mind. You're going back to a different time of film. Yeah, way back. Because <laughs> uh, before special effects were a thing and you just had shitty looking puppets. <laughs> it's even worse because special effects were a thing, but you had this just curmudgeon at the helm of this movie refusing to use them. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola does not wear a mask in public right now. <laughs> they say, hey, this will really help the cause. No, I have to make my point. I, I live in freedom. This is America. Uh, if I want to use shitty special effects, I will. This was Anthony Hopkins narrating in the beginning, right? Yes. And also, I guess, uh, having a uh, a small cameo as random old man. Because uh, he's, he's the guy that tells... Uh, Did Columbia owe him like fucking five roles? Because <laughs> this movie, he's he's the narrator. Yeah, he's, um, I don't know, the pastor or something who's yelling at him about uh blaspheming and then of course he plays van helsing later in the movie he also did the catering uh the white eddie murphy in this one <laughs> just all the different roles that he has of course not nearly as devoted because he just looks like anthony hopkins in every part of the movie <laughs> uh but he's narrating painting the picture sexy gary Ullman, uh, uh vlad dracula dracul as they keep saying the order of the dragon they're at war um it's just a bunch of silhouettes of dudes fighting and whatnot. He is, is he the, he's the prince of the, the province there in uh, Transylvania goes off to war. I have no idea why the coolest thing in the whole movie is the armor he wears here in the beginning. And you don't see it again. The entire movie. Nope, it's, it's a little bit of game of Thrones in the first five minutes of the movie. And then that's it. Um, game of Thrones. If they didn't have the budget to show an actual, an actual battle. So Game of Thrones of like season one before they were popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All, all you see is the silhouettes and uh, and all the budget went to uh, Gary Oldman's armor. He's got this kick-ass armor. And then false word gets back. It says an arrow was shot back at the castle that would have signified he was dead. Um, and his queen, Eliz- uh, Elizabeth, 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 fucking, <laughs> fucking weird old English names. Uh, Winona Ryder, one of her two roles in this movie is the queen or the princess rather and in just an extremely impatient way just kills herself as soon as this arrow flies by doesn't wait to see his body doesn't wait to see that he is cold and buried in the ground so she jumps from the top of a cliff into the local river Um, Dracula Gary Oldman returns to see his princess dead he then renounces his faith renounces his god uh and states, if I remember correctly, that he will renounce God and come back to avenge her death, or he will Through use eternity. his life to come back. <laughs> yeah the the plan the plan is never clear. <laughs> He's calling these like unpressed. This isn't Babe Ruth, you know, pointing at the the outfield. This is like him claiming that he's going to do these things that, to this day, five hundred years later, are like unfathomable. But they believe him. Years later, no, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, they do. Is, is Anthony possible. Hopkins is like, get away, my beard, and he just is like speckling holy water at him. He's like, get away from me, you foul beast. 
And then, like, in one of the most metal things ever, he stabs the chapel's crucifix, and it just starts bleeding. And, like, we're talking, like, five-alarm blade job. It's just rushing out of there. Yeah, and then he screams. He He's he's not even speaking English in, 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 through this entire sequence. And uh, we're just getting warmed up, but he already cranked it up to 11. He's just, you know, on his knees, screaming at the heavens, just going, Mickey! And then... It does a smash cut to a black screen and uh font turns sideways. It says Dracula. And then we some uh you know ninety top forty song starts playing while we see Gary Oldman shaving. <laughs> shaving while looking at his gauntlet with all the all the infinity stones it's acquired over the last few centuries. 400 years later. No, but in an actual smash cut, we go to fucking uh, Jonathan Harker, played by Keanu Reeves. Uh, Bless his heart. S- startling, to say the very least. I, you know what? I'll I'll give this to Keanu Reeves. I think he is the only one that actually. His sideburns? <laughs> uh, well, no, he, he I, I think he might have been the one, the one person in the cast to figure out that this was meant to be a comedy. And so he played it accordingly. Everybody else took it like this was the role of their careers and they were going to make an impact. And uh, Keanu Reeves was just like, dude, let's just have fun. And so when when he's when he's on screen, he seems so unaware of all the weird shit that's happening around him. Even when he notices it, he kind of underplays it in a way that makes everybody else. It makes it more noticeable how much everybody else is overacting. It's like if only everybody had been on the same level as Keanu Reeves, we all would have had a good time. But uh, it must have driven he's, Coppola um, like crazy. <laughs> he's he's PJ Souls in the original Halloween. He knows what he's there to do, and not to draw too much attention to himself, but just to play the part. He figured out pretty early on that what he needed to do was get the fuck out of Gary Oldman's way. <laughs> yes, uh, he has sideburns. That that was like. The most shocking thing about it was I was not prepared for Keanu's sideburns. <laughs> you were prepared for his for his English accent, but not the not the burns. Oh, that was way easier to get acclimated to than his sideburns. Just kept looking at him saying, Trim those sideburns. <laughs> He's you know, I don't mind the accent. I, I think that the the thing that really gets you about Keanu's performance is just the uh, the delivery. It's not the accent, the delivery. Because <laughs> he's still just like, you know, doing this old English accent, but still you do, he, you can tell he wants to end every sentence with, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost like he's still, he's still, he's still reading the script for the first time. You, you know, they're, they're like, just get through it. And then you can figure out the, the nuances of the performance later. And, but no, they, they just gave him the one take. Um, I, I mean, I, I feel for him. I, I think that there's, if I have to choose between Keanu's uh, weird underplaying things and and everybody else overplaying things, I'll I'll take Keanu. But that doesn't mean that he's good. Speaking of overplaying, it's during this transition that we're introduced to uh, Renfield, who's played by the incomparable Tom Waits, who is essentially just like um, a lackey for Dracula. Comes to find out he was he was the predecessor to Keanu's job that he has, but eventually fell under the spell or direction of Dracula. So, uh, point of the matter, point of order, Jonathan Harker, Keanu Reeves is like a fucking real estate agent in the late 1800s. And this Count Dracula, this client, is wanting to buy up all this property throughout London. 
And so he's got to go meet with them to basically arrange how this is going to be paid for. They're going to do cashier's check or <laughs> what they're going to do. He's got a, They didn't have email at the time, so he had to get his credit card. Uh, you know, he, t- he had to run it manually through that machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, it's been a while since I've even thought about that. So we get the reveal of what Gary Ullman looks like 500 years from when we last left him. And he's not quite as sexy as he was when we last saw him. Um, How would you describe his look? Okay, so this all made sense. It's my first time seeing it, and I never understood uh, the Treehouse of Horror from, I believe, the fifth season of The Simpsons is when Mr. Burns is Dracula. And the look they use, the aesthetic, is that of Gary Oldman in this movie. Well, if it isn't my good friends, the... uh... Simpson family, master. Simpson, eh? Excellent. Dad, do you notice anything strange? Yeah, his hairdo looks so queer. I heard that. He was a boy. So that was funny just because like it all came together, but his face, he does look like Mr. Burns, <laughs> just like creeping up. And it was it's hard not to laugh though. It's fucking Gary Ullman and like you know, all this plaster and shit on his face. He looks like um uh, he looks like Jabba the Hutt went on like a massive diet and lost a ton of weight. <laughs> now he has all that skin hanging from his neck. Uh, exactly. His hair. And his fingernails are nasty. Yeah, I have no idea how long it takes him to do his hair in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. To me, it felt like uh, like Coppola was going for uh, that that really kind of offensive stereotype by now of, of vilifying old age. It's like, oh, what's creepy? Old people are creepy. And so he just made up this Dracula, this version of Dracula as the the ultimate scary old man. And that that's just the thing. I mean, yeah, he has long nails and he has a weird hairdo, but mainly what's scary, what's scary about him before he even uh tries to drink anybody's blood is just that that he's old. And that's kind of come on, we can do better. And he's got the the shadow that doesn't mimic what his movements are. Yes. It's like floating like a ghost. I, I just like in a, another life, I prefer to believe that like they took takes of Gary Ullman moving erratically like that to make it look like he was a ghost or like put him on a fucking skateboard and just pushed him on his stomach. <laughs> so it's really nothing too crazy. It's just a real estate deal that's going on here. It's obviously off putting uh, Keanu at this point. Um, like you said, he's just going along with whatever, almost to a comical extent. Cause he sees no issue with what's happening. He gets to this dude's house and there's like these werewolves with glowing <laughs> eyes barking at him. And then he gets there and it's this old man who looks clinically dead. And it's not a situation I would hang around for. Well, it's not even, it's not even like a, like Dracula is trying to be subtle about it. He's not trying to hide how fucked up shit is in that castle. He, uh, <laughs> there is a moment that they're having he's, dinner together. He's John Wayne Gacy. He's inviting people <laughs> yeah. over while he has these dead people stuffed in his crawl space. Uh, he's like, yeah, come on over, eat dinner. It's fine. It's almost like he's daring Keanu to ask what's wrong. At some point, he they're having dinner and he grabs a sword and almost hit him with the sword. And, and Keanu yeah. apologizes. <laughs> he's basically just doing what he can to make Keanu like question him. It was, it was shocking. He didn't just pull out like a chalice of blood there. And it's like, you want some of this? <laughs> Back, um, how far away are they? They're Transylvania and then... London, um, I guess. London, okay. Is it Mina? Yes. The reincarnation of Winona Ryder. So essentially she is that. She's the reincarnation of the princess, uh, Elisabetta from 
500 years previously. A bit different than Gary Ullman. She does not look grotesque. She looks the same, if not better. I mean, you you heard Gerald's opinion. She looks her best. Oh, I did. Got me all hot and bothered. (laughs) I think he could, you know, sell clips like that for money. So there's some people that would buy that type of talk. He can paint the picture. Uh, Her friend, Sadie Frost, Lucy, the local harlots. I guess their relationship dynamic is that they're the... The comely lasses of virtue true around those parts. But of course, uh, Mina is engaged to Keanu and Lucy is looking to get engaged, but obviously gets around the block. Uh, There's a a Texan that shows up. At least I believe he's a Texan, a guy in a cowboy hat. Um, A doctor. I think his name was Jack, if I remember correctly. And And then of course, yes. And then of course, Carrie Ells, star of, Princess Bride and Saw One shows up <laughs> as uh, Lord Arthur Holmwood, and this is eventually the one she um, plans to wed. Did you uh, did you recognize uh, the other two guys, the other two suitors? No, I did not. Okay, so uh, the Doctor Jack Seward, he's played by Richard E. Grant, who uh, not only was he a, a recent Oscar nominee. Uh, for best supporting actor, but also he was he's been on the Contrarians before. He was in uh, uh, Hudson Hawk. He was uh, one of the siblings. It was him and uh, uh, what's the name of the actress? This comedian, but they were the two siblings that were kind of with the bad guys. Oh yeah, okay, definitely not recognize him. He's much younger in this movie, or he looks much younger in this movie, at least. I was about to say uh, Sandra Bernhardt is who you were thinking of. Yes, and. Uh, he would have been younger in Hudson Hawk, but I mean, there's a lot of things that divert your attention in that movie. So I don't, I'm not surprised about that. Uh, yeah. The uh, Texan is, uh, is played by Billy Campbell, who, uh, if you've seen the Rocketeer, well, that's, I think his biggest claim, uh, to fame. He was the Rocketeer. That is a blind spot for me. I've always wanted to see it. Is it good? It's, it's worth watching. It's, uh, it looks great, which is mm-hmm. something I guess that you could say about this movie. <laughs> that if nothing else, you can you can watch it once to see uh, to experience the looks. And 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 Billy Campbell is not hard on the eyes. I mean, no, really, no. honestly, I, I don't know. If you were Lucy, would you pick the Carrie Elves? W- which way would you have gone? I don't know. I mean, obviously, being a Southern gentleman, I'm very uh, drawn to Southern accents, so might have to go on with Billy Campbell. But she is, you know, the the yin to. Uh, Mina's Yang in terms of she's way more um, forward and um, I have harlot written down here I believe I already used that word but she's obviously the the woman with the local reputation whereas Mina's very reserved and a very precocious young lady well, it's, it's a horror trope too where uh, of course because she's the one that's the most uh, sexually I guess forward She's the one that's going to pay the price first out of everybody we see in the movie. I think oh, she's yeah. the the first one that really gets to be a, a Dracula victim. Because under all its artistic sheen and, you know, pretentious coat of paint, this movie is just a glorified slasher. So, yeah. of course, the hoe for show has got to be the first to go. <laughs> and- that, that was uh, that was the original tagline <laughs> when, when Coppola <laughs> pitched the movie. What was it? the actual tagline for that the studio that Columbia Pictures insisted upon was love never dies after <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola. The hoes got to go. Uh, 
the, the other thing that I, that kind of stood out to me just to to show how uh, I guess how naive or how virginal uh, Mina Winar Ryder is, uh, they have her flipping through uh, a very explicit I guess uh, version of the From One the Thousand time. Nights, and uh, and there's I some love porn in those days. Yeah, the porn <laughs> was basically like stained glasses of people like a man taking a woman from behind and they were like, my God. Yeah. She really seems perplexed by it. Like she had no idea that human beings could do that. And it's not even like it's some sort of contortion where, you know, sometimes you, if when you're like doing some, some research online and you run across something that you're like, wow, I didn't know that was possible. But here I know it was 1800s, <laughs> but you know, I mean, having sex, I understand that you wouldn't go as far as calling it doggy style that they hadn't coined the term no. yet, but it was obviously, common enough that they were drawing pictures you know and, yeah and, I, I don't know why she's shocked it's basically like um the peanut butter and jelly analogy it's like well i put jelly on this piece of bread <laughs> and peanut butter on this one what do we put them together i imagine after you have sex once or twice missionary back in those days you're like there's got to be another way wait <laughs> oh here we go yeah, but and then the thing is, when they show it to you, if you didn't know, your reaction wouldn't be, wow, how did they do that? The reaction would be like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. She then texted Keanu, and she's like, <laughs> hey, I read about this thing in this book. And then it cuts to him, and that's when he goes, whoa. <laughs> it does cut back to Keanu Reeves, though, and we get uh, what my understanding is from some brief research, possibly one of the more memorable scenes in the movie, in which Keanu's shaving. Uh, before he goes to bed, what a fucking monster. Sha- <laughs> that No. You get fucking aftershave all of your pillow and shit. No, thank you. But Dracula bar- barges in. And, like, you know, I called um, uh, Tom Berenger. I said he was a version of Kramer in uh, our <laughs> Sliver episode. I think Gary Ullman is like a very old Kramer in this movie and that like anytime he comes in, he can't help but like knock something over because he's so old and decrepit and attract attention to himself. And he does. So Keanu naturally cuts himself shaving and this uh, more so than uh, Mina looking at the picture of a dude fucking a chick from behind. This (laughs) is arousing to Gary Ullman. He sees this bloodshed and he becomes flush in the face and he says to himself, how do they do that? And so he goes up and he takes a straight razor, right? And starts shaving for him to kind of help him out. Yeah. Well, first he takes the, the razor from, uh, from Keanu tells him, Hey, you need to be careful. And then while Keanu is distracted, like he is through the entire movie, uh, Dracula licks the, the razor. I think that the reason that he knocks things over is because he's horny. This, this <laughs> entire movie. I mean, the movie itself is very horny and all the characters in it are very horny especially Dracula. He's so horny that he will not die. So this goes into your idea of it being a comedy. He's like one of the, you know, the American Pie road trip, those series of movies where you have the character that's so horny, he like knocks something over because he's so like, you know, oh God. His boner uh, is just swinging around so he keeps knocking things over. Well, that wasn't part of the script. Gary Ullman just showed up hard (laughs) on a regular basis. Francis Ford Coppola's like, fuck it. Let's write it in. So he begins shaving Keanu. Uh, the reflection of the mirror shows the crucifix. You know, it temporarily jolts Dracula, and he tells him not to put his faith in such a, a false ideology. To which Keanu says, "Whoa, whoa!" <laughs> says tea and crumpet, sir, because that seems to be the extent <laughs> of what he can say in this movie. So Gary Oldman, Dracula, tells him, "Look." 
you got to take a piss or something. You got to get some something to eat. Just don't sleep anywhere in the house else in the house. You can go and wander around the premises if you got to have a smoke or something, but you got to come back to this room. So of course, Keanu being Keanu wanders out and um, ends up in the midst of a blood orgy. My notes say Monica Bellucci blood orgy with a baby. And uh, <laughs> that about sums it up. And at the same time, it doesn't do it justice. No, I was about to say, I can extrapolate upon that a little bit. I mean, Monica Bellucci's there looking as fine and gorgeous as the day is long. Absolute smoke show. And then not to detract, there's two other lovely young ladies in there, but they're essentially, you know, sirens on the water. They're there to lure them in. It becomes a sexual affair. <laughs> and there is blood. They don't bite them, but, like, I think some of them, like, spit up blood on them or something. It's, I, uh, I think the implication is that they bite his dick. I mean, they don't, they don't bite it off, but there's that shot where one of them mm-hmm. goes down to his crotch, opens her mouth. She has the fangs out. And then and he then, does the the Matrix <laughs> orgasm when he gets plugged in. And he does <laughs> he does that shot and yeah. By like the way, fa- he's still he's still acting like this is okay. Like like the fact that these three women kind of materialized out of nowhere and then started uh, sucking his blood. He's he's cool with it. He's not acting like oh my god, what's happening? There are very few things that <laughs> Monica Bellucci could do in that scenario that would make me say. Mm, maybe we shouldn't. But wouldn't you at least act like you can't believe this is happening? Your reaction would be like, oh <laughs> my God. Because I'm, I'm hooking up with Monica Bellucci? Yes. <laughs> right. But Keanu Reeves is more like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To him, this is just another normal real estate trip. This is like how the, da- the deals of the day went. Uh, so they're, you know, going to town on him, but Dracula, you know, fucking for... Hugh Hefner, he shows up in his red fucking robe and he's just like, girls, and calls him off. And then one of them just kind of scampers away like Gollum. And then the other two form like this fucking uh, like spider like creature that you see in Doom. And they just kind of scamper off. And then they go over to see Dracula and he offers them like a, a baby. I don't know where the hell he got a newborn, but it's basically here. You need to feast on something. Eat this. And that's that's when Keanu breaks. Yeah, that, that they found his breaking point. He did not react when the two women uh, merged together into the spider-like creature. But he's sitting there, harder than Portland cement, and just watching the this baby get f- eaten by these three women. And that's when he freaks out. He's never going to be able to get it up again. I mean, <laughs> that that situation—the highest of highs to the most horrifying of lows—and be a, be a rough comeback for him. Back in London, the sex capades continue as uh, a wild storm comes through town. And Lucy, uh, Sadie Frost, Mina's friend, wanders off into this storm. I guess she makes a ruckus when she's doing so because Winona Ryder goes to chase her. And eventually they go through like the garden and turns into kind of like the shining, the hedge maze. And then she finds her just mounted by this like (laughs) werewolf creature. And... um, (laughs) just just another i mean by now the movie if nothing else it's done a pretty good job of uh getting us used to this shit you know can you imagine if they'd opened with the with the the furry sex it would have been a little too much but by now when it happened i I was i was like keanu when he runs into monica belushi as a vampire i was like huh all right so so now this is happening uh the so the implication the implication being, I don't know if, if you caught it, because this was your first time watching it, is that, that Dracula has made his way yeah. all the way to 
this, which earlier I said that the plan didn't make sense to me. And, I, and it's still, I mean, having watched the entire movie, they never really explain uh, what exactly was Dracula's original game plan because he he doesn't Actually, know. That, that troubled me and I had to look it up after the movie. I'm like, what the fuck was his plan anyway? <laughs> Uh, I think I want to say that the book, I would hope the book is uh, better at explaining what's happening yeah. because he he brings Keanu over so that he can like help him purchase some property in London. Uh, he does this before knowing that Keanu is engaged to the reincarnation of his long lost love. He doesn't realize this until he, he sees uh, Winona's picture that, that Keanu has, his her photograph. So... Mm-hmm. If he hadn't seen that, if they hadn't sent Keanu, if they'd sent, you know, I don't know, you know, they sent Tom Waits, they could have sent somebody else. And then he was just going to move to London and do what? Because, I mean, from the moment that he realizes that Winona is engaged to Keanu, I I understand that his game plan is now, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to meet her, we're going to, you know, be lovers again. But that is coincidental. That's, uh, uh, you know, an accident. So... Mm. uh, Happenstantial. Yeah, everything that happens now, including him having sex with Winona's best friend as he has the appearance of a wolfman. Um, it's freeform jazz. He's just improvising. If a bear's <laughs> hungry, he'll eat. <laughs> right, but why does he look like a wolf? Why couldn't he look like Gary Oldman? Well, g- sexy Gary Oldman is back in a shot that, like, <laughs> he basically, like, bursts through this, like, moving crate nude. And, like, you just see him from the waist up. <laughs> It's one of those things I choose to believe Gary Ullman didn't realize a camera was on him when he did that. Um, <laughs> they called him. There's a Mr. Ullman to set. And he's like, all right. <laughs> yeah, the the beast sex is definitely... I was going to say, uh, the hoes got to go and expect the unexpected were the two taglines that were rejected because <laughs> this, you can call him hard right Francis Ford put Coppola because <laughs> this movie, you think you're on the right path and then zigzags you all around. So yeah, Gary Oldman's back. I guess, I, I don't know what his intentions were by turning uh, Lucy into a, a vampire, but it's actually terrifying. I think he like hypnotizes her or like sedates her or something. It's, it's a, it's a rough watch. Um, obviously Lucy's becoming a vampire. So that means we got to call him the big guns. Uh, Dr. Van Helsing, played by Anthony Hopkins, who's returning for his sixth role in the movie. Uh, <laughs> he was actually the shadows of, Van- of Dracula. That's what they used him for is one of his roles. And uh, they were shooting in, in the States and they flew in from London. So he was like, well, while I'm here, just make the most out of me. I, I got a work visa for you guys. So make me work. Um, did you get the feeling that Anthony Hopkins... I mean, I don't want to say that he's hamming it up because everybody's hamming it up. Uh, but did you get a feeling that he was... <laughs> did I get a feeling he was... Yes, I got a very big <laughs> feeling he was doing that. Well, he was hamming it up, though, in a in a Pacino way. He was he was doing a Pacino take on the Van Helsing uh, character, in my humble opinion. Uh, his tone doesn't match the text. He'll be talking about how, like, yeah, so for breakfast I had orange juice and two eggs! You know, that kind of thing that, <laughs> that Pacino does. Um, yeah, absolutely. He's very inconsistent volume wise and, uh, also like tone the message and theme of of what his character tries to be. There's parts where he's just like, uh, very tactical and very, you know, doctorly in his approach. And then other times he's just very cold and like a fucking dickhead. Uh, there's a part with Winona Ryder later in the movie that he's just 
very callous. And so can't get a good read on Anthony Hopkins here. Uh, much like most of this movie, you can't really get a good read on. Um, but while he arrives, it's like, it is, it's an American pie type scene. Cause there's like this serious, you know, dialogue going on with him arriving. And then, uh, the chick upstairs is like having an orgasm and they're all kind of like, what's going on up there. And then they all go up and they put a cup to the door and they all listen <laughs> in to see what's going on. Um, Dracula's back here and he's, I don't know what his plan is. If he's just trying to expedite the process along for Lucy, but Van Helsing gets up there and they hold her down. He draws some blood and essentially it's time for him to start running some tests. But I love that. Uh, because by now she's engaged to what's his name? To Gary Ells. Yeah. To Gary Ells. Yeah. Uh, but, the but her doctor is still the doctor that wanted to marry her, Richard E. Grant. Right. And he's been treating her, he can't figure out what the fuck's going on, so he calls Van Helsing. And yeah. it's not until Van Helsing <laughs> Three gets there. Three men and a baby. <laughs> yeah. It's not until Van Helsing gets there that they realize that she has, like, those two punctures on her neck. I mean, she's had them the entire time. <laughs> These n- huge infected marks on her fucking jugular. Yeah. Oh, Richard yeah. Grant's like, I have no idea what's wrong with her. Where it does just... come from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I-, I said three men and a baby, but it should be three men and a titty, because, like... Uh, Sandy Frost or Sadie Frost has like a breast out at all times of the movie from this point forward. It's not drawn attention to. It's a a requisite of being a vampire. (laughs) Yeah, it's not drawn attention to or anything, but she just has a breast out at all points moving forward. The closest it comes to being addressed is when uh, Richard E. Grant and and, uh, Anthony Hopkins are trying to get her ready for a transfusion to, to get blood because she's lost so much. And Carrie Elves walks in. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing to my bride? Because, of course, he walks in and she's half naked and she's moaning uh, like she's having an orgasm. And these two men are just kind of fumbling around. So He walks uh, in twirling his mustache with both (laughs) fingers and goes, what's going on here? I'm going to be in Saw. Uh, (laughs) So Mina encounters um, Dracula, Gary Oldman, downtown. Sexy Sexy hipster. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. He, He looks absolutely absurd here with his top hat and his long hair and John glasses. Lennon glasses. Yeah. yeah. And the set it, I would not be shocked at all. If you told me that was the same set they used for Muppets Christmas Carol. Cause that is all I kept thinking about that entire scene. It looks exactly like the opening panning shot of Muppets Christmas Carol. Uh, only in this case, Gary Oldman is the only Muppet on set. And <laughs> it's just weird. It's a scene that's pointless. Cause it's basically all we see is him try to hit on her. And then she turns him down only for him to try it again. And then she's like, all right, let's go. Yeah. All and he had to do was say that he was a prince and that, that turned the tables. Uh, it's, it's so weird because I, I thought when it first happened, I thought that we're rejoining the story. I don't know, years later, because she says that she's married, but then it turns out that she was lying. Right. Cause she says, yeah, my husband calls me Mina or whatever. But then as the story went on, I realized that, Oh no, Keanu is still a prisoner. <laughs> In, in Dracula's castle and and Lucy hasn't even been married yet so it hasn't been that long um, but yeah they at first I was like yeah you go girl he he hits on her and she she basically tells him to go mind his own business she's taken she walks away then like you said he magically reappears in front of her and says by the way I'm a prince and she's like alright let's go to the movies and so they go he kind of forces himself on her not to the point of it being uncomfortable the beast sex is way more uncomfortable 
Uh, I, I guess at this point in the movie, there, there's not much that you could do that could be like, <laughs> yeah. man, this is really off-putting. You're, uh, you're, you're insulated by now, by everything that you've watched. You are now wearing the proverbial suit of armor that Gary Holman has in the beginning. You're ready for whatever it throws at you. But this is where, you know, it's like the fucking rogue touch or like Jean Grey touch of like her whole like memories are flooding back to her. Uh, did you did you get the the did you feel like Gary Holman was also orgasming in this in this scene when he's uh, he's about he hasn't even bitten Nina. He has her. She's kind of like passed out. Uh, I guess they're behind the projector. I don't know. They're somewhere in this. He definitely preed in his pants a little. I know that much. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's he's having his fangs grow, but he's also just kind of, you know, he's coming, basically. They should have, like, there should have been an awesome shot of him, like, awkwardly, like, limping out of the movie house <laughs> and, like, just, like, a little, you know, splotch on his pants. And he, he just looks at, like, the kids selling newspapers. He's like, talk about extra, extra. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I just wish somebody had told Coppola, we get it. This movie is about sex. <laughs> no shit. Like, I've plugged it on here before. The um, Vampire Lovers, that's a movie that is, like, heavy into the, uh, you know, especially the British exploitation, like, um, sexual horror. And, like, but it doesn't try to, like, put a coat of paint on it. It's just, like. Sex constantly, boobs everywhere. This is like, oh, we're artsy, but here's you know a lot of like lingering sexual shots and whatnot, close-ups uh, of uh of of you know faces climaxing, and also uh, a wolfman having sex with an unconscious woman. You know, uh, if you just like fucked with the the brightness and like the hue, that could that's very possible. They just reuse that shot for the kids are all right with Mark Ruffalo and his hairy ass just arched over and thrusting away. He's a hairy man. I'm jealous. I, I mean, I can't even grow a full beard. Mark Ruffalo just looks like a fucking beast just pounding away on Julianne Moore. Um, Van Helsing puts it all together. He figures out what's going on. He's been around the block a time or two and he knows what's, uh, what's a coming and he knows Dracula's coming. He used to be um, Hugh Jackman. I mean, he 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 should have recognized this the signs much sooner. Do you ever watch that? The, <laughs> the Hugh Jackman Van Helsing. Not only have I watched it, I played through the video game that was for PlayStation Two. It was very cool. Hugh Jackman actually like voiced the lines for it and stuff. He had like a grappling hook that you could shoot people with. It was awesome. Uh, I've only seen the movie once though. I remember enjoying it. I was also like fifteen or sixteen. Uh, have not rewatched it since. Who's the the lady Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, Kate Beckinsale. Um, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to like bum you out, but it's not canon. It's um, you know. Oh. <laughs> <There's>, you don't <laughs> he does say. Not, he does not grow to be Anthony Hopkins. Well, this was a while before Pirates of the Caribbean and the Marvel franchise made everything canon. connected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Winona gets a letter from Keanu that they're going to get married. So she's heading to Romania to do that. Oh, yeah. Because um, he, he escaped while we're not looking. Yeah. Did they really explain that? No, they don't. They, I mean, he just, he kind of says, hey, he I got escaped. on a bus that couldn't go below 50 miles an hour. I know that much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he met a, a very nice young girl. He should have stayed with her. But instead, he's a stage he's a... coach. <laughs> just whipping the horses. <laughs> the horses cannot run more than. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, ten miles an hour. Uh, yeah, no, he's. Uh, I'd always wonder because you know, I remember I, I watched this movie before when I was much younger, and uh, 
I did not remember how Keanu Reeves got out of the castle. I just remembered that they basically set it up to where it would be impossible for him to get out. He couldn't get out of the castle when he was at full strength. And then they established that these vampires, Monica Bellucci and her two friends, have been draining him on a daily basis. Yeah, they have. <laughs> so, so one, why would he want to leave? And two, uh, how could he? But uh, but yeah, he does. And so I always thought in the back of my head that I must have missed the the scene where they explain how he left. But, they, but no, I didn't because I watched it again last night and it's just... They show him kind of like crawling out of a window, and then he falls into the water. And then next thing you know, he's at a convent. Oh yeah, we get that awesome shot of the, the, the POV, <laughs> like the the fish point of view, the underwater camera where we just see Keanu falling. Yes. Whoa! <laughs> and then he splashes in. Um, okay, but yeah, he escapes, and so the first thing he wants to do is marry his gal, as any war survivor wants to do in any fucking movie, and. They are to be wed in Romania, and they are an interesting <laughs> trivia about that scene that we will get to in real talk. That may be like just common public knowledge, but I, I wasn't aware of it. So anyway, do you th- remember what this is un- uh, intercut with their wedding ceremony? Is it? It just cracked me up. It's um, it's intercut with um Sadie Frost like something's happening to her right yeah basically Dracula kills her but it's uh they've set it up much like much of this movie doesn't make any sense oh yeah he's like outside of her window and like yeah well because uh, they put uh what's his name uh Billy Campbell is outside with his gun and uh yes <laughs> and, and Carrie Elves is inside with another gun you know by her bedside and Anthony Hopkins and uh, uh Richard E. Grant they fucked off they told Billy Campbell hey by They're the playing. way they found that book of all the sexual positions and they were <laughs> smoking cigars and having some brandy they never explained where they were all you see is Rich uh Anthony Hopkins telling Billy Campbell hey this is really dangerous so you make sure you use that gun and then they leave and they, they don't come back until uh Sadie Frost is just She's like viscera on the yeah, bed. Yeah, she's like torn to shreds because you just see this massive explosion. My note says wedding slash blood bloodbath. Yeah, because yep. he's just uh he sends um one of his wolves in to start just like chewing her up and eating her, and it's yeah, it's ridiculous shots of you know like a a, a real wolf or a dog or something just eating like steak covered in red jelly. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Yeah, intercut with uh, Winona and Keanu going like I do, I do. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh Carrie Ells gets his Oscar scene uh when they go to her casket or like where they're keeping her and they open it and she's not in there and he does like the the Harrison Ford trailer lines from the 1990s instead of you know where's my family it's where is she and he pulls his gun out and he's pointing at Anthony Hopkins and Anthony Hopkins at this point is like fucking two seconds away from dropping the Pulp Fiction Jules line. I hate to burst your ego, but that's not the first time I had a gun in my face. Uh, so they, they find her. She's like in a different. No, no, no. She. She comes back. She's dragging. A she kid comes back. She's her. got a baby. Yeah. yeah. She get a midnight snack. She comes back with this baby. And like, it's not funny because beating up babies isn't funny, but it, it's <laughs> just so absurd. It. Yeah, she, they're like, drop it, and she just drops this kid, and it makes this ridiculous, like, it sounded like they recorded someone dropping, like, a melon on the ground, and the kid's, like, of course, like, wah, and then so Anthony Hopkins pulls a crucifix out, she backs into her uh, casket, and then, of course, like, a 
sociopath that he is, he like puts the stake to her heart, but he gives Cariel's the hammer and he's like, you got to do it, man. Kill her. <laughs> so then, of course, he nails it like a fucking railroad spike and then they cut her head off as you do. <laughs> Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised that this was not uh, even more gratuitously sexy it, it, you know that, that they didn't have to like, get her naked before they killed her or something this is the only part her tit was covered back up <laughs> yeah she's wearing this carrie really- should have just like coughed one last feel and said i love you and then <laughs> gone to town so yeah she's dead she's killed with a capital t um <laughs> and there's no way around this this is funny because then they catch up uh van helsing's with uh, mina and uh, Keanu, and they're having dinner, and they're catching up on everything. There's a lot to catch up on. <laughs> we never see and it happen, though. I, I no. wish I wish we had gotten the the scene where uh, Keanu is like, "Will you marry me?" By the way, let me tell you about what happened in this castle. There's never- this old guy, right? <laughs> yeah. But then he didn't even mention the infidelity. He's like, "So, have you ever heard of Monica Bellucci?" So they're catching up over dinner, and there's the no way around this. This was fucking hilarious. She asks, like, well, did uh, Lucy find peace before she passed? And Anthony Hopkins like, yes, she had a stake through her heart and her head cut off. She found peace. She was very at peace. Uh, like I said, he, he just eats more steak or whatever it is. That he's eating. Yeah, just the try. It's like the, the gruel that they fucking before they envision their feast in a hook. It's just that nasty gruel that they're all eating. And again, though, tonally, his character has no consistent. Now he's. Now he's George Carlin cracking, <laughs> cracking wise with the kids. Yeah. Um, he must have mentioned that. I, I really wish that we had gotten like a scene where, where really where everybody was getting on the same page about what's happening. Because from this point forward, it's kind of, uh, I guess the assumption is that Keanu Reeves was able to tell them what's going on or whatever. But because uh, Anthony Hopkins, they're still eating. And uh, Hopkins tells Keanu. And I thought this was what you were going to reference, that there was no way around it. <laughs> when he tells them, hey, during your during your infidelity with those three women, did you drink their blood? And Keanu looks yeah. almost offended by the suggestion. And he says, no. And then he looks at Mina and goes, no. And then she gives him this reassuring, like, you know, she squeezes his, his arm or something. And the entire time I'm thinking, you have been basically dating Dracula the entire time that he that Keanu's been gone like her first reaction when she gets Keanu's letter saying hey let's get married I'm in Romania uh her reaction was oh my poor prince uh Jonathan can never see, know about us or whatever so she's been cheating on him and uh I just love that Keanu like bared his soul he told her and Van Helsing that he had had sex with three vampires <laughs> and uh Winona was like well I'm not gonna tell them about my my little adventure with uh with the, the stranger in town. Different area codes, man. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Keanu was in college. Yeah. And Winona's like, well, we didn't have sex, so it doesn't really count. Um, we danced. So Dracula's coming for Mina. He turns into like this green mist. He's like the shapeshifter at this point. Uh, first of all, unfortunately, Tom waits. We hardly knew ye. He gets killed because, they're back at Dracula's, you know, the, the Dracula Manor, and Tom Waits sees Winona Ryder. He's like, "Holy shit, it's you!" and explains the whole situation. And basically, he just gives the exposition of the whole story to her. And she's like, "Oh, okay, he's gonna come for me." So then, of course, he finds Tom Waits. He's like, "You disloyal asshole!" and <laughs> kills him just by like repeatedly running him into a, a chain link wall. It's actually pretty brutal. Not chain link. It's uh, prison bars. But he goes and finds Mina, 
uh, Winona accepts to be with him and be his lover forever in a moment of weakness. Doesn't really take long. Uh, no. Even after he reveals that he is uh, the Lord of the Undead, and even after she figures out that he killed Lucy, she freaks out for maybe two seconds, and then she's like, but I love you. Yeah. So she gets bit. There's some blood sex with some, like, <laughs> uh, jettisoning blood on bodies, and it's uh, it's pretty gruesome. Um, I guess her writhing and moaning attracts the attention of the rest of the household, so Hopkins and crew come in with their uh, crucifix. At this point, Gary Oldman, like, transforms into a literal beast. It's like a, a monster with its skin turned inside out. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, it's the kind of monster that you wonder, why wasn't he always in this shape when he was fighting? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> he, like, he becomes Optimus Prime, when as all throughout the movie, he's like Mr. Burns fighting and being all frail. <laughs> it's like, dude, why didn't you just do this from the beginning? You would have had her the whole time. Um, so the hunt is on. They're going to hunt Dracula. And Mina is in the process of dying and becoming a vampire. So this is where they go to... Uh, the castle where it all began, where many, many moons ago, 500 years ago, Dracula sacrificed himself and his princess died so they can be together once more. So they split and they send uh, Van Helsing with Mina, uh, you know, on horseback or whatever, where they go, uh, I guess, in train. I don't know. Yes. Later on, it, it, it turns out that it wasn't a good idea to leave Van Helsing alone with Mina. No, because then... Uh, the three lady vampires, Monica Bellucci and the gang show up and they try to get to her and he protects the two of them. But then they just fucking go and eat his horse. And he's like behind a wall of fire. Like, no, but then, but then before that, uh, they, I guess they mind controlled Mina and she, so she seduces Anthony Hopkins. And mm-hmm. this was to me, forget about the, the wolf man having sex and, uh, old Gary Oldman. To me, the creepiest thing was seeing uh, Winona Ryder seducing Anthony Hopkins and Anthony Hopkins falling for it. That was just... I don't need that in my head. Like, Anthony Hopkins, I have him... Uh, have him you know, he's Hannibal, and he is uh, Odin. And okay. even as Van Helsing, he's kind of a dignified figure, uh, even with all his craziness going on. But here, he just turns into, like, I don't know, a horny old man. Lecherous old man. Yeah, falls to his knees. Uh, buries his face on Winona Ryder's bosom. It was just in poor taste. <laughs> uh, so I guess karmically, you could say he loses his horse for you know <laughs> being too horny. Which <laughs> this movie pretty much punishes any acts of overt horniness. I'm trying to think of who's not horny in this movie, and they survive. Um, no one. I mean, they they all they're all marked forever. Like like you said, from with Keanu, I think all of them will have a really hard time making their way back to a healthy sexual lifestyle. <laughs> so his horse gets eaten, uh, and then how do they get to the battleground the next day? I can't remember. Uh, not explained. <laughs> it just all happens. Right. I mean, actually, this is probably the craziest thing. Uh, they kill they they eat his horse, and then with no explanation, you see. Hopkins walking inside the castle and then happening upon the bodies of Monica Belushi and the other two and he just beheads them and he walks back with the three heads how the fuck did he do oh, that? Oh god yes okay that was my favorite shot of the movie fucking Anthony Hopkins just like stumbling and limping around like a drunkard <laughs> and he's got these three severed heads it's incredible uh, yeah 
But in that scuffle the night before, he also like when senses come to, he pushes a communion wafer against the head of her. And I, cause I remember cause she has the scar for the rest of the movie. Later, she would use that same move on uh, John Hurt in Lost Souls. You do that. It's true. <laughs> the McDonald's she, sizzle. <laughs> she put that in her back pocket and she's like, I'll, I'll be saving that for some time. Um, so then essentially it's just a battle. There's a chase scene with Dracula and, uh, you know, the cast of the bachelor here with the, the three, <laughs> To be um, Billy, what's his face? Billy Campbell. Billy Campbell's the only one that meets his maker. He gets stabbed somehow in the fracas, and the one person that killed. wasn't British. Yes. Well, that's he shouldn't have been over there in the first place. wasn't <laughs> yeah. It wasn't his war to fight. So <laughs> <laughs> there's this like elongated chase scene, but then when Dracula actually gets out of his cart, he like gets owned like really quick. They like run up and slit his throat and then stab him through the heart. And they're about to finish him off. They're about to cut his head off. Winona interjects, says, no, no. And she's like, I'll do it. And she looks at Keanu and she says, I think, would you do the same for me when this happens? And he says, no. And she says, okay. And then Keanu just basically calls off the troops. He's like, nope, we're going home now. And then she drags um, a dying Dracula back into the cabin, back when where they first both died together. Uh, and did you did you get the feeling that this was when Keanu Reeves figured out that uh, Winona Ryder had been cheating on him the entire <laughs> time that he was in the castle? It all kind of set in on him. <laughs> he was thinking to himself, well, at this point, he probably was thinking Monica Bellucci was still alive. So he had a shot with her. <laughs> they got back to their horses and uh, Hopkins was there with the three heads. <laughs> no. <laughs> he went running back to the cabin. That's the post credit scene of him running back. Mina, take me back. Uh, she goes inside and Dracula's dying. She knows it, but they're together at long last. And he says, give me peace or give me my peace. One of those things. And so she just pushes the knife through him with so much gusto that it snaps it off at the end, which I thought was uh, pretty fucking brutal. And then he has one last climax. And <laughs> at least it seems that way. And then his eyes roll in the back of his head and she looks up at the top of the cathedral, the castle, whatever. And it's a painting of them together. So I guess the tagline worked in the end. Love never dies, except they both die. Well, then then she cuts his head off. Oh yeah. That's like, <laughs> I forgot we get to uh, the prosthetic head of Gary Ullman. She does. <laughs> she doesn't take much time to hesitate either. She's like, goodbye. Um, I think it happens in, in, in the movie, uh, or I might be thinking of one of the deleted scenes, but uh, her, her wafer McDonald sizzle thing on her forehead. It goes away when, when Dracula dies, doesn't it? Did they show that? Yeah. I don't know if they show it, but I know it's not on her head anymore at the last shot of the movie. Yeah. Uh, just like uh, <laughs> it's never addressed in the movie. We didn't even mention it, but Keanu Reeves hair goes gray. Yeah. Randomly. Basically he's it's, he has black hair when he escapes, but then when he's marrying Mina, he has gray hair. And then they lies the crown. <laughs> I guess <laughs> you do not. You have to you have to pay the price if you're going to have sex with Monica Bellucci and, and her friends and Winona Ryder and in the Winona same Ryder. week. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but then the last shot of Keanu when he looks, I guess, at her when he says something like uh, it's her job now or she's going to finish it or whatever. His hair is black. Yeah. Did they not give a fuck or <laughs> or is it because Dracula is still alive? So. Is it just that because he's dying, then, you know, the effect that he'd had on some people uh, goes away? 
I don't know. It's like the end of Beauty and the Beast when the curse is reversed. <laughs> so, <laughs> what does Winona Ryder do after after killing Dracula? Everybody took off. Just looks up. She, I mean, she looks up and then then what? So does she live the rest of her life in the castle by herself? <laughs> uh, I mean, that was you know supposed to be the sequel, but Columbia Pictures was like one was enough. It was. <laughs> <laughs> It was actually going to be called Girls Just Want to Have Fun. That was going to be the sequel. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I would hope so. I hope she enjoyed her time. But she's immortal now. No, but I don't think she is. I, I think that she goes back to being a human. And that's why the, the thing on her forehead disappeared. Oh, the curse is lifted. Yeah. I don't... She acts out the premise of Wild starring Reese Witherspoon at this point. <laughs> Stands, she starts the long walk home. Yes. Yeah, I don't I don't know. There we we leave with as many questions as we answered. <laughs> yes. kind of a flat ending there for uh contrarian's corner we both we just basically basically submitted we were like all right let's let's just do this uh all right we don't know what happened so yeah. let's let's go with it so welcome we'll start with more of a bang with real talk for bram stoker's dracula which i i i'm gonna call him stroker stoker bram bam <laughs> i apologize so here we are summer winona Literally, we, we just reached the halfway point. My God. We have we have 12 movies scheduled. This is movie number six. Discussing a movie that was a blind spot in my uh, film viewing. Uh, but looking over, I do vividly remember, you know, I've discussed this on the podcast before with some movies. Uh, it was definitely one of the memorable VHS covers. It took me a while looking at the poster and whatnot. But when I actually saw what the VHS looked like, boom, came right back to me. It's like that... Um, that like gargoyle head. It's it's not mm -hmm. ceramic, but it's uh, etched out of concrete. And then at the bottom, it's got four little headshots of the leads in it. And that I remember looking at that a lot because um, the fucking uh, the, the words evading me of what I'm looking for here. But like the headstone of the gargoyle is so cool looking um, that 
and it was it was everywhere at least it felt like it was everywhere because uh i remember you know there was a, a super nintendo game and a I guess probably a Nintendo game as well, but I just remember the the that picture, the picture of the gargoyle was on like the gaming magazines that I that I would look at, and it, it was just um, it was a big release. I mean, it made waves in Peru. <laughs> wow, I mean, with the cast it has, it has an insane cast. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were just talking out of your ass, but yeah, there was a Bram Stoker's Dracula for Super Nintendo, Sega CD. My God. Yep. Oh. I, I am extremely tempted to find a copy of this and play through it now. So, regular Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Game Boy, Game Gear, Master System, Mega Drive, Slash Genesis, Sega CD, the Amiga, and MDOS. And, of course, like with all video games from that time period, it didn't come out for a fucking year after the movie. <laughs> yeah, and it was also really fucking hard. I- As all games of that era were. Yeah, I don't know if all the games were the same, but I know that the the Super Nintendo version and Nintendo version were the same, just different graphics. And uh, I think the the conceit was that uh, you know you were playing Jonathan Harker, and at the end of every level, you would fight Dracula in one of his incarnations. Nice. And uh, so I think the end of the first level, you fought him as a wolf, and I never found out what he was at the end of the second level because <laughs> I never made it. It was that just hard. Fuck it. Um, so, as we mentioned, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, released November 13th of 1992, a budget of $40 million, which is astonishing, considering the uh, cast that's in it and also that all the f- special effects, all the visuals were all practical, which, if you are a long-time listener of The Contrarians, you know that is a quick way to my heart. Uh, box office return of a little bit over $210 million and nominated for four Academy Awards. And won three of them. Best costume design, best sound editing, and best makeup. What was the the one that he didn't win? Uh, best actor for Keanu Reeves? Yeah, probably. Uh, what That would have been 1993 Academy Awards. Let's see. I was going to say, do you want to guess who hosted that year? But it's fucking Billy Crystal. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> that was the, the Billy Crystal years? It's just a 50-50 bet. That was the year Unforgiven won Best Picture. Let's see. I assume none of the awards that were given out for this movie made their way on television. Ha! <laughs> best makeup. Uh, so 1992, do you want to guess what else could potentially have been nominated for best makeup? Uh, Unforgiven. <laughs> fuck, what else was going on in 92? This is Hopkins after. Uh, which Batman, though? The second one? 1992. Uh, Batman Returns? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Batman Returns was nominated for two Academy Awards. Alien 3 got nominated for Best Visual Effects. You eat my ass. That movie, like, <laughs> God, that we talked about in the third episode we did on the podcast how awful the CGI effects in that looked. Anyway, um, Bram Stoker. You're looking at it through 2020 lenses, the year 2020, not 2020. Boy, you want to compare Alien 3 to this and which one has better visual effects, and they were made with the same uh, weapons at their disposal. Uh, (laughs) What it did not win was best art direction. It lost to Howard's End. Uh, (laughs) Oh, another Hopkins vehicle. (laughs) This might be my all-time favorite uh, lineup for an Academy Award. For best sound effects editing, Bram Stoker's Dracula won over Aladdin and Under Siege. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? 
What a lineup. That is- if you're a, if you're a member of the academy and that you know today is the sound editing day. I'm gonna I'm just gonna watch those three screeners. <laughs> How do you you start with Aladdin, and then you do Under Siege and you close with Dracula? I guess, man. Uh Maybe you save Seagal. For no, you end. would close you with Dracula. The- you would start with Aladdin and then close with Dracula. And then when she stabs uh, Dracula at the end, you would cry and say, Genie, you're free. And that, that would be how you end your day. <laughs> but of course, we could go on about that year. It was a bit of a loaded lineup. Of course, the year Marissa Tomei won for my cousin Vinny. And uh, what? Whole some- bets were off. 28 years later, she's still as beautiful as the day is long if i could repeat an expression from the first portion your feelings for marisa tomei mirror gerald's feelings for winona ryder in this movie we were talking about it off the uh air so to speak but yeah she's she's still around she's uh in that new judd aptow movie and she might be the driving force of me watching it but (laughs) uh speaking of watching and film viewing uh much like the first portion of this podcast our uh, podcasting friends out there in the internet zeitgeist had contributed uh, some thoughts on Dracula being having watched it when it was first released at some point or even more recently. And the first half, you know, we had some people that actually liked it. And it sounds like for the second portion here, we got some people that may not be as high on it as others. Yes, Uh we have uh, we have two negatives. The first one's from the guys from Beyond the Box Set, where, if I remember correctly, John, one of the hosts, had already seen it, and he showed it to Harry, who had never seen it. And uh, well, this is John basically asking Harry how he felt about the movie. So Harry, what did you think of Bram Stoker's Dracula? Hated it. Absolutely hated it. Hated it. One of the worst films you've picked. Why? What What was so bad about it? Because it was I, I, so I, I, boring. It's Gary Oldman as Dracula. I know. How boring can that I, be? I know. I, I, I was expecting so much. You saw the crazy costumes? Yeah. The crazy the costumes, makeup, the everything, but it was just so dull. Winona Ryder chewing the scenery? <sighs> Take me away from all this death. To be honest, I've forgotten most of it. Really? Keanu Reeves in his crappy English accent? Yeah, I didn't even think his English accent was bad enough for it to be entertaining. Oh, okay. This you was picked a lost this cause. up for me, John, in all the wrong ways. Okay, fine. <laughs> that, that was a dud. <laughs> I disagree. And you know, they're British, so they know what they're talking about. Yes. They're, we're talking about crappy English accents. <laughs> um, and then our friend Sam from Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. Sam. Not, not content with uh, talking trash about Winona Ryder and... Uh, our Alien Resurrection episode. He also had to be negative about uh, Dracula. Hello, Contrarians. Thank you for letting me force my opinion on you guys once more for the summer of Winona. Hashtag ride or die. What can I say about Dracula? Well, I watched it once and I'm never going to rewatch it. And what do I remember from that film? I remember Keanu's horrible acting. It was reminiscent of Tommy Wiseau in the room or Nicolas Cage in Vampire's Kiss. But unlike those films, he was legitimately going for it. And he had a horrible accent to boot. It was dreadful. Winona was her winsome, manic pixie girl best, I guess is the best way to describe it, but overall the film was just average, mediocre? I mean, I'd say I'm in the negative camp, I guess? And it's it's hard for me as well, because Francis Ford Coppola, the movies he did in the 70s, Conversation, Apocalypse Now, Godfathers, 
amazing. Loved him. And to see him go from that to this, it's just too campy, like a lot of other films from the 90s, but uh, I'll save that for another time. Anyway, thank you. Bye. Oh, yeah, and Julio, how about those tasteful uh, nudes? Of he keeps asking for nudes like he's going to get them, but, you know, I don't play that way anymore. I'm a married man. <laughs> Uh, so that brings us to two hashtags. We have uh, hashtag Winona Virus 2020 and now hashtag Ride or Die. Ride or Die, you know, spelled with the with the Y. It's, oh, yeah, absolutely. Outstanding. <laughs> uh, I respectfully disagree. I I think this is, I had a, a, a quite the lark watching this movie. It's very dumb. How can you not? I, 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 was, I was very surprised that Harry found it dull because that's the one thing I think that that movie isn't. No, it's... Um, if you tried to tell me it was like genuinely good, we might have a point of contention, but it's it's like um it's like really bad campy horror with like an A-list cast. It's Yeah, an, an A-list director. Yeah. And uh you know, in the typical research I do for these, I, w- I wasn't able to find anything too interesting. A lot of it focused obviously on the visual effects and how those were all practical and how, kind of what a, a feat that was. Um, obviously Keanu, I, I feel we'll go ahead and tackle him first because I think he's the, the lightning rod that people uh, attract a lot of their negativity to just from reviews I read and whatnot. So I, my understanding from what I read was that he was studio appointed because he was kind of like an it thing at the time coming off a of point break. Oh. Did you see who was supposed to play him before Keanu? Because I Gobola mentioned what it. I read was Johnny Depp. Yeah, uh, I, I I was telling you before we started recording that I, I watched some of the special features, the the supplements. Yeah, and uh, Coppola is being very very uh, diplomatic about how he talks about certain things. Because I was wondering if he was going to address the fact that uh, uh, you know I love Keanu Reeves and I've I've grown to love him more the past few years. He, I think he's really coming to his own as far as being a leading man and, and just kind of like I don't know, you know, really exploiting his niche. Mm-hmm. And he seems like a cool guy to boot, but uh, but he seems so out of place in this movie. And uh, I was thinking, well, Coppola, there's no way that he doesn't address this because when you're watching the movie, especially all these years later, it it just sticks out. And uh, the closest thing he says is just saying that he had it all ready to go with uh, uh, Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder. And then the studio said that they they didn't think that Johnny Depp was marketable enough. Yeah, they wanted like a hotter star. So then they had to scramble to find a replacement. And Winona Ryder was also hel- uh, friends with, uh, with Keanu Reeves. So, so he got the part. Uh, I mean, he still had to audition and everything, but it was, it's, it's funny because I mean, obviously it was a lot to ask of him. Yeah. 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 And it, that just shows the, the wrong priority, right? It's one of the main characters. And the fact that you would just go with, uh, okay, you don't want to go with Johnny Depp, but go with somebody that, I don't know, at least cast somebody British. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, get a young Hugh Grant. I, I feel bad. Yeah, they just set him up to fail. I mm-hmm. think, and uh, it, it's it's a shame. It was a ridiculous request of like fucking. Is he Johnny Utah? Is he is that his name in Point Break? In uh, Point Break, yeah. yeah. He himself lamented about the making of the project and his involvement in it. He said years after the movie came out, he wasn't happy with his work, stating he had been exhausted from making several movies right on the heels of signing as John Harker, and he tried to raise his energy to the role, but, quote, I just didn't have anything left to give. Aww. Which, it definitely, 
that would make sense. I mean, if he's just saying that now or what have you, but it definitely seems like someone who's just not up to the task and not from like lack of ability, just like this. I'm not here for this type thing. Uh, yeah, I, I I feel bad, honestly, watching the movie. I mean, I was enjoying the hell out of it. And, and there was a part of me that was just uh, having fun seeing that that this just really weird dissonance between what Keanu Reeves was doing and what Gary Oldman was doing and what everybody else was doing. But uh but also part of me that just felt bad because I was thinking, yeah, he deserves better. And he's, it's not like with some, we've done it on the show. We call actors and actresses out because it felt like they were sleepwalking sometimes yeah. to us. Uh, that's not what you feel here. No. You just kind of feel like he's out of his element and he's looking for help and not getting it from anybody. Uh, and because everyone else is so fucking insane and like yep. stealing what they're involved in, it really he sticks out like, you know, the proverbial sore thumb. He definitely is like a white sheet in a bed full of color. It's, it's an interesting layer cake. Yeah. Watching the behind the scenes, uh, including the disc, it made it even more noticeable because there's some shots where they're just, you know, they're shooting. Uh, there was the scene where, uh, Dracula finally looks like a demon and he's facing off against, Anthony Hopkins and his gang, mm-hmm. and they're, uh, you can see Hopkins, like, you know, they're shooting Hopkins' close-up, I'm assuming. Uh, I would hope so. And Ken Reeves is behind him, and Ken Reeves looks, he's looking around, like, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> like, Hopkins is in character, you know, just with his cross and whatever, and giving his lines of dialogue, and and, and Keanu's behind him, looking lost, like, looking for a prop, looking for somebody to give him, like, a reaction, and I... You know, this is me projecting a lot, but I, I just kind of got the feeling that that was him through the entire shoot. Yeah. Uh, there's another bit of behind the scenes where they're shooting, you know, one of the sequences in Dracula's castle when he first arrives and Gary Oldman kind of gets into it with, with Coppola because Gary Oldman wants a mark so that he knows how to say a line, like when to say a line when he hits a, a mark and Coppola is telling him, you don't need a mark. You just you just say the dialogue and we figure it out. And they're going back and forth and Keanu Reeves is just kind of waiting on them to figure it out. And at some point, uh, Gary Oldman says something like, well, I'm waiting for Keanu to like do whatever. And, uh, and Coppola goes, but Keanu doesn't do anything. So you don't have to wait for him. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I know. I just felt bad. That, that sucks. Um, I mean, could have been a lot worse. It's not like, uh, uh, partly because half the movie he's not there. Yeah, he gets captured and then he's gone. But I don't think he derails the movie. And maybe, maybe it's because, like I said, by now my appreciation for Keanu Reeves allows me to see past the the weak performance and just kind of see a guy that's at least trying. So it doesn't bother me as much. You've, I mean, when you watch the movie, when you're in the movie, you forget he's there. You forget about him. The the, the reason we're talking about him right now is he has become. Uh, a part of the movie's legacy when people talk about it. Yep. And, and like I said, the first time I watched it was today, but even I knew that going in. But again, we've done this so much, I feel we can. you can almost decipher when you can call out the actor for lack of trying and also just when a project doesn't work. And I just think it was a, a uh, an unrealistic ask to think... I mean, Keanu, I don't even know if Keanu Reeves in 2020 could pull off a convincing, a convincing British accent. Um, I think he would just say no. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. I mean, a uh, year, two, three years later, he made speed. So he had that fuck you money by then. This this project came to him. And, no, man. 
Uh, Liam Neeson was originally considered for the role of Van Helsing, but when Anthony Hopkins got in the mix, I mean, that was pretty much a done data. God, I love Gary Oldman in this. Gary Oldman said when he first read the script, he decided it would be worth doing the movie just <laughs> so he could feel what it would be like to say, I've crossed oceans of time to find you to someone. <laughs> 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 that became his pickup line. Yeah. Every time he went to a bar. Um, what else? Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder did not get along well at all during filming. The rest of the cast was shocked because the two had been friendly during rehearsals, then came back from break in the schedule, seemingly hating each other with no indication given then or later as to what had happened. Um, something I did appreciate was, uh, at the first like cast meeting, Francis Ford Coppola just sat down to do a table read, but they just all read fucking Bram Stoker's Dracula as like a group. Uh, I wonder if they were doing the voices and everything. It took like fucking two days is what Anthony Hopkins said, which is hilarious. You just show up for this. and I, I'm trying to think of who would have like the most unwarranted ego. Uh, Hopkins, probably. <laughs> No, Hopkins deserves to have an ego. I'm talking oh, like... Oh, yeah, unwarranted. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, unwarranted. Um, Carrie Elves. Sadie Frost. <laughs> no, because Carrie had... She had the introducing credit. I know. And this wasn't her first movie either, but Carrie had... Um, Princess Bride had already been out, so he had a little... That's true. A little chutzpah. Richard um, E. Grant was like, I, I was in fucking Hudson Hawk. <laughs> heard of it is when he showed up and introduced himself <laughs> to everybody. Um, other interesting thing we were talking about when we weren't recording, this movie does have a criterion release, but it's criterion release was and is only available on Laserdisc. Uh, which I know th- the criterion that was like, they latched onto that. Cause there is a surprising amount of criterions on Laserdisc, And I think but, that but Laserdisc only, uh, that's a small pool, but like, um, I know there's a good amount of them that were released on Laserdisc, obviously before DVD. Uh, I think they thought that was going to be wave of the future, which, to be fair, a lot of people did. A lot of people in the video game industry did. That's why there's video games on the Laserdisc player. But that's annoying because I like this movie. And I think it would be funny to have a criterion of Bram Stoker's Dracula. If it was available, I would buy it. And I just bought the Blu-ray. Yeah. But like I was telling you, the Blu-ray has a lot of special uh, features. Maybe it wouldn't surprise me if it's just basically a transfer of what they had on the Criterion. They just didn't call it that Criterion. Because I mean, to I, be honest, too, like their their contractor licensing it, uh, rights could have run out by the time like Laserdisc were out of print or some shit. But uh, yeah, as it stands today, no DVD Blu-ray release uh, Criterion of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I guess we'll just wait. We wait. The next either Dracula Renaissance or uh, the next Coppola Renaissance. Um, I want to say this was the last time that I thought I felt that Francis Ford Coppola was part of the zeitgeist. I know. I mean, obviously, he's made movies after that, but I never felt that. I don't think he's made any blockbusters. Now he has that movie with Robin Williams, uh, Jack, that came out, I think, a few years later. Uh, I always forget that was a Francis Ford Coppola movie. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. I haven't seen it, but it, it feels weird. And then, you know, he's done, he has a, what's his movie, Cosmopolis with uh, with Batman, new Batman. What's his name? Robert Pattinson. With Pattinson, yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm sure Did he's you do done Contact with Jodie Foster? He didn't do that one. That's Zemeckis. 
Mm. I don't know. I mean, he he's attached to it somehow. Really, producer probably. I I felt I always felt that his his time was you know seventies, eighties, nineties. That's when he was at his most. You know, unlike filmmakers like Scorsese or Spielberg, who managed to stay pretty consistent with the ratio of blockbusters versus flops. Uh, yeah. My impression has always been that Coppola didn't quite recover, I guess, from the transition to the new millennium. Uh, I could be wrong. I'm not as familiar with his filmography as the others. but Wasn't Renona Ryder supposed to be in Godfather 3? Yes. Yeah, he talks about that, again, in a very uh, diplomatic way. And uh, he's talking about the genesis of this project and uh, one of the interviews. And he says that basically... Was she supposed to be Sofia Coppola's part? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she dropped out because she was sick. I guess she was exhausted from like doing many projects back to back. So then they have a meeting where Coppola is saying that uh, he just didn't want any bad blood between them. So he, you know, he was just meeting with her. They were having dinner, whatever. And uh, as she's leaving the dinner, she turns around <laughs> and goes, "By the way, there's this script, this Dracula script that I want to get made, and I think that you'd be great for it." And then Coppola's eyes light up, and he's like, "Oh, Dracula, huh?" How sexy can we make it? <laughs> Interesting. So, yes, we know the writer was always attached to it, uh, I would imagine. But then he also says that when uh, when he had to break the news to Winona and Johnny Depp, that Johnny Depp was not, that Suyo didn't want him, that they were just crestfalling. And they, they said something like, well, we, we thought that you were God, you know, that they was <laughs> you could just get away with whatever. And they were just shocked that he had to basically just bend to whatever the studio was saying. But... I don't think that Winona was ever in danger of not playing the part because at that time her her uh, star was was rising it, it was or had already risen so she was you know she was considered a good get I guess. How is fucking Edward Scissorhands a ninety percent movie and this is a seventy one? I'll tell you how Rotten Tomatoes is a flawed system. <laughs> God damn it! Uh, it's gonna be pretty funny if we when we finally get to Edward Scissorhands and you end up loving it. Yeah, we'll see. Interesting, because I I still to this day have never seen Godfather three, but I think it's my understanding is it's universal that Sofia Coppola is very bad in that movie. Uh, so yeah, I wonder if she's gonna be bad as in like the Keanu Reeves bad, where you just you feel bad for her because she got thrown it, especially now knowing that Winona Ryder was supposed to play that part, and then suddenly that scramble is that's like the last. How much more desperate can you get? To, oh, I don't have an actress. Fuck it, my kid. <laughs> well, if you're Judd Apatow, you have all of Hollywood at your disposal, but you just insist on using your children. Yeah, if you're Judd Apatow, it's the other way around. It's like, what? Do they want my kid to play the part? Okay, Brie Larson, come over here. All right. So I knew his name was on contact somewhere. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Does he play himself? During uh, filming... On December 28th, 1996, filmmaker Francis Ford Coppola filed a lawsuit against Warner Brothers and Sagan, who had died the previous week. Coppola claimed that Sagan's novel was based on a story the pair had developed for a television special in 1975 titled First Contact. Under their development agreement, Coppola and Sagan were to split proceeds from the project as well as from the novel that would be written. Uh, yada yada yada. The TV program was never produced, but in '85, uh, the book was published, and Warner moved uh, forward with the film adaptation. Coppola sought at least 250k in compensation and injunction against the production of the film. Uh, his claim was dismissed. <laughs> that's that's why he's not as 
prolific a filmmaker as uh, the rest of the people in his generation because he's too busy suing people. Yeah, but would you say his fall from grace was like that of De Palma in terms of like he eventually just became like shit? I am not as familiar with his filmography to say if it's a matter of quality. Because I, I, you know, I remember I, I watched maybe half of Cosmopolis and it, it, it might have been good. I don't remember enough. I, I'd been drinking. I fell asleep. And whatever he's done since, I haven't watched. But, I mean, Sam listed his his greatest hits and you know he's right you know it's like from the man that made apocalypse now the godfather trilogy uh you know the conversation like all that stuff you're like okay this guy was a heavy hitter and how is it that he's not making movies anymore the way that you know scorsese spielberg even i guess the palma still makes movies but like you said the difference is that the palma had a dip in quality (laughs) And I, I jest. I don't think everything he's made. Obviously, like I like Snake Eyes and like some of those. I shit like that it too. But later, did that was. I, I think it was just his uh, effort wasn't quite as genuine as it was at one point in time. Patton, that's another one that uh, Francis Ford Coppola did. Yeah, it's funny because you could say that uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is the most De Palma Coppola movie he's ever made just because of all the fantastic analogy just the happenstance not even happenstantial just the the random boob here and there um yeah so talked about keanu i mean gary oldman just having the time of his life here (laughs) and for you know a guy that seems to be as short-tempered as him and um Kind of always sitting on a razor blade in the sense of, you, you know, you could just nick him one way or the other. Uh, I think the performance we got from him here is something that I am in awe of after, you know, the eight <laughs> hours later or whenever I finish the movie. It's just insanity. Uh, I'm curious what the conversations were, how they got him, to, like, in all those crazy outfits and whatnot. It, it was awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, he's uh, – and this was before he was at least – I think this is before he was Gary Oldman, like, a, you know, an actual big name. Uh, I want to say, I mean, he might have done, had he done The Professional by now? Because uh, they were referring to it on the on the special features. They were referring to it as his big, his first big American movie. Um, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't already notorious in Europe. I mean, like I said, yeah, Professional would be more of a French movie, I guess, because it's mm-hmm. Luc Besson. So he came out swinging into the American market. Uh it's funny you mentioned how they talked to him into the costumes because Coppola was saying in one of the interviews that uh, they hadn't, they didn't start shooting with him until I think I don't know two weeks into the into production. So you know, they, in, during those two weeks, while they were shooting other stuff, Gary Oldman was just getting together with the makeup uh, person and the costuming person and just going crazy with ideas. And then they, he would come up to to Coppola and be like, "Okay, how about this? What if I also look like this?" So. Then later they're shooting and Gary Oldman is bitching about all this makeup and shit that he has to put you know, himself through. And Coppola was laughing. He's like, at least three of those things were his own ideas. They were his designs that then we incorporated into the movie. So that kind of answers your question. They didn't have to talk him into anything. <laughs> he was no. more than happy to come up with stuff. Uh, I wonder if he still does the same thing, like, you know. I've never heard like horror stories of him being like a, you know, a raging alcoholic or anything, but I had always heard he, he did care for his, his hooch. Uh, 
I don't know if they talk about it on what you watch, but apparently he was drunk when they filmed the scene where he licks the razor blade. <laughs> really? Kind of. They said it worked out well because his state like contributed to his like <laughs> like creepiness and his, I guess uh, not overacting, but uh, eagerness is the word I was looking for. Um, but no, the professional came after Bram Stoker's Dracula. He was in JFK the year before. Oh, but that's uh, a small part. State of Grace, which is one of my dad's favorites, is in 1990. And then, of course, I mean, his most legendary role in 1986, he played Sid Vicious and Sid and Nancy. Was so disheartened when he trashed that movie a few years ago when he did that <laughs> uh, unbelievable interview for Playboy that he immediately had to apologize for. <laughs> God bless him. Oh, so on top of everything, he also trashed Sid and Nancy? Yeah. Like, he said something like, He's just talking about the movies he's done. He's like, this fucking piece of shit. Like, he said something just completely, like, disparaging about it. I mean, we're not breaking ground here or telling tales at recess to say that Gary Oldman's an amazing actor. I, I think... I, I think the business would be a lot better with more people like him that are as uh, blunt as he is. And, you know, there are clearly people that take acting too seriously uh, at times and... Um, you know, Christian Bale, we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but I think Gary Oldman hits the right stride, but also because I think he can do that because he's never done something to make me not take him seriously like that type of thing. I think he's just a guy that carries himself with a certain level of respect and also like, um, uh, he, he has just enough human quality, but also this air that clearly makes it separates him from the pack and, that may have not been the case in 1991 or 92 when this was being filmed. So watching it through 2020 lenses, I was like beside myself with laughter. Uh, (laughs) But even all that, like I would say his acting is the best acting in the movie for what you can call it that. Cause like I said, again, this is like a grindhouse, you know, drive in movie just with the really massive cast and budget. Uh, But I think, He's still fucking Gary Oldman in this. Yeah, when I the first time I watched it, I didn't know who Gary Oldman was. So to me, it was just like I I had trouble even reconciling uh, old Dracula with hipster Dracula that shows up later to seduce Mina. Like I, when I found out that it was the same actor, I was just like, but you know, I was a kid too, so. I guess yeah. the full power of cinema and its ability to transform a person <laughs> was not, I, I hadn't grasped it yet. Uh, definitely knowing Gary Oldman, when you watch it, it's it adds, I think, to the joy. But I think that that's, that applies to everything. To me, even knowing the, the suitors, knowing now who Richard E. Grant is, who Billy Campbell is, that just, you know, because they have kind of nothing roles. They're, they're in the background mm-hmm. and they don't really get to shine, especially Billy Campbell. I, I think, he, you know, other than he's the one that dies and he's the one that's not British, he doesn't really get to do anything. Richard E. Grant at least gets that really random shot of uh, uh, where he's injecting himself with something. He has a, yeah. you know, it, it's, they get like a little bit of weirdness. Uh, but, but yeah, it's just great because you, even in Tom the background, Waits. Tom Waits, you know, at the time I didn't know who he was and now I do. So it's just, um, it's just this painting, but even the, the little details are something that, that gets your attention because they have, they carry like a history, I guess. Uh, I, I, I know that it didn't work for me when I was younger because I guess it was just too big and too just out there. 
no, when I watch it, that's what I like the most. And, and I guess Oldman's performance is the, the best out of all of them as far as who's doing the most. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Who's the farthest out there? Yeah. Uh, we talked about it in Contrarian's Corner, I think, kind of blending some of our real thoughts on it. Anthony Hopkins is so all over the place in this movie, but he's still Anthony Hopkins. And uh, I I do think from a comedic standpoint, my favorite shot in the movie is when he just like stumbles into frame carrying those three severed heads. Like it's <laughs> so good. Like I, I honestly can't decipher if that was supposed to be played for laughs or not, but it fucking made me howl. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's Anthony Hopkins. He's been in some bad. He's one of those people we talk about. He's been in bad movies, but he's never been bad in anything. So to see him in something like this, it's it's just like hell yeah. Like there's parts where he's like a badass too, and I'm like this this is great. <laughs> yeah, he's a uh, not the Van Helsing I, you know, so to speak, not the Van Helsing I grew up with. Um, and I think that also bothered me the first time I watched the movie, or the first few times I watched the movie. But I, especially watching the behind the scenes stuff later, you know, that's uh, that's not even Hopkins's take. That that was Coppola asking him to just go out there. He he wanted him to make Van Helsing this sort of unpredictable figure, that, and and so they would come up with shit like like him grabbing Winona uh, Ryder uh, and dancing with her the first time he meets her. It's <laughs> just so random, mm-hmm. comes out of nowhere, but. Uh, they show you they have footage of the the rehearsal where they figure it out <laughs> and uh it's it's pretty cool um you know to have i guess an actor that's just game for that and that director that's encouraging it also though to me that it's kind of the nightmare version of filmmaking uh i'm glad that it worked out in this case but it's also the kind of filmmaking where you know you're just so open to suggestions and so open to fucking let's just do whatever because it, it sounds cool in my head that you could end up with a with a big mess uh, and you could argue that this movie is a big mess it's just that it's one that happens to work uh, yeah I he was saying uh, uh, that they show it it's so silly I, you know I guess you can get away with this kind of stuff when you're Francis Ford Coppola in 1991 or 1992 where he he basically grabbed the entire cast and brought them to his to his ginormous house and they all just lived there for like a week or two weeks and <laughs> and they just rehearsed and uh i guess that's when they read the book maybe but he also had them do just uh acting exercises which to me sounds hilarious like you're gonna grab anthony hopkins and tell him like hey let's workshop let's do some some acting workshop <laughs> let's 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 keep you sharp yeah uh, and uh you know you have like a bunch of people from the cast uh, describing these and it, it's just like ba- basic stuff from you know if you take an acting class like acting 101 he was having yeah. to do that stuff like there was like standing in a circle and uh, they had to like throw an imaginary ball at each other and every time they throw the ball uh, they make a, a funny sound and but you can't repeat the sound so I throw the ball at you and I say whoop and then you throw it back at me and you say kabam and then oh, wow. I throw it to Winona Ryder and I say zip and then she throws it to Keanu Reeves and goes meow and what you know and they're like they're acting it out and then you see it also on the on the footage and it's hilarious can you imagine like you know like how many filmmakers have like the power to grab uh, an all-star cast and just have them like put them through their paces like that uh, like day one acting classes yeah you know hey fastbender de niro <laughs> just come and like do this for me uh it's it's crazy. Angelica Houston. Yeah. Get in here. 
We're going to work on your dictation. <laughs> yes. But then I guess, you know, when you're done with those two weeks, you go and, and now you're going to, sh- they're going to do anything you ask them to do. Because yeah. I guess if they survive those two weeks with your craziness, then they, you've earned their trust. And when you tell uh, Gary Oldman, yeah, now you're a wolf and you're going to be having sex with uh, Sadie Frost, you're going to be mounting her. You're like, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> this seems about right. That's just a couple away. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think uh, we ever have spent more time on this podcast talking about an, a character or a performance in a movie that requires no lines as we have about Monica Bellucci's performance <laughs> in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, I mean, she's hot. It's your quarterly reminder to go watch Shoot 'em Up because I was just thinking about that when I saw her in this movie. <laughs> And that movie rules. Someone on my Twitter feed did like a a live tweet stream of them watching that movie the other day. Uh And we're like posting clips from it. It's so good. I know it's not. You don't care for it, right? It's it's all right. I I wouldn't watch it again. Certainly Monica Bellucci is one of the the highlights of the movie. Um, Paul Giamatti is the highlight of that movie. But uh, Clive Owen's obsession with carrots. Not so much. Eat your vegetables. (laughs) said it before when a movie starts with a dude killing a guy with a carrot and telling him to eat his vegetables you know you're in for a good time um so winding down here with uh, bram stoker's dracula i mean the reason we're here this summer is winona Ryder, and uh for all the reasons we've already listed i think at least from my vantage point she is perfectly fine in this. We've seen her be better in some of the movies we watched, but she is certainly good. But unfortunately for her, it's just uh, because this cast is just like just a series of stakes in a row. (laughs) And, you know, some stakes are a little bit smaller. Some are cooked a little bit better than the other ones. So it's easy for it to get lost in the shuffle. It's easy to take a bite and say, okay, this isn't too much different than everything else I'm seeing here. Or then to take a bite, you know, like Gary Owen be like, whoa, this is a lot better than what's <laughs> going on over here. So what I'm trying to say is she's great, but she's in a sea of things that are great for what is being presented. She doesn't really. That's why Keanu sticks out because he's he's the only one that's not. <laughs> he's the steak that was not cooked. He's just like this yeah. lab of meat that they threw in there. Or that's like overly cooked it's like so well done that you're like mad about it to the point of like you you ate like five amazing steaks but then that one at the end sucks so bad that's the one you remember walking out <laughs> they want the one you're gonna keep telling your friends about <laughs> yeah uh yeah i i i think that she it's a combination of things because as i was watching it i was actually disappointed that she was not getting anything memorable to do which is unfortunately that's her job in this movie uh, she's supposed mm-hmm. to be kind of like the center her job in this movie the main thing that she needs to do is unfortunately uh convinces that that she is just this woman that a man would become a monster for and i think she does that well you know but she that's not through her acting that's through just her looks you know her being venona Ryder. i think you know sort of what gerald said you know she can she can it's just a matter of aesthetics and some people can wear uh, uh, 1800s corset and that kind of, you know, and have that angelic virginal look and, and pull it off. And some people don't, and she does. So when it comes to a matter of, of just image, it's that's perfect casting. Uh, she doesn't really get to flex her acting muscles though. I think that uh, she's uh, overpowered by the, the, 
the campiness or the just the overblown everything that's going on around her but she doesn't also you know she doesn't feel out of place i i think that no. by the time that you get at the, to the end she she kind of has like a, a a couple things you know when she tells uh keanu reeves towards the end and she's like would you do the same for me uh that line had never worked for me uh until this watch when i i finally got it i was like oh she she is reminding him that this monster is still at some point he was a human and maybe he deserves compassion the same way that she eventually is going to become a monster and she you know he will have compassion toward her so uh, that moment had never worked for me because I, I i think that's the other unfortunate thing about her part in the movie is that she is at the center of the main thing that i think doesn't work in the movie which is the love story i don't think the mm-hmm. love story between uh dracula and mina works uh and I used to think, because the movie's called Bram Stoker's Dracula, I used to think that that was something that was in the book. Uh, and then I've come to find out, and listeners correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't read the book, but just <laughs> uh, the one thing, the one element where this movie is not faithful to the book is that aspect. In, in the original book, there's no relationship between Dracula and Mina. Uh, they're not lovers from from times past she's not a reincarnation of anything when he goes and uh infects her that's him assaulting her it's not that oh this romantic moment where he cuts himself and she drinks his blood that's all uh james v hart's uh take on the story that's what he did to like make it new uh the love story in the book is is between jonathan and nina who are put through the ringer and yet by the end of the of the of the of the story they're still together and uh and then he just, for whatever reason, you know, James E. Hart decided, no, well, let's make it about Dracula and humanize him. And the problem is, I I never, I mean, it might be different for you. I was never on his side. I never felt bad for Gary Oldman, even, no. even at his most human. And I think it's partly because the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie, the uh, Coppola and James E. Hart and Gary Oldman do a really good job of making him a monster. So after you've seen him feed a baby to Monica Bellucci and her friends... I don't care <laughs> that he yeah. is in love with Winona Ryder. And so that the side effect of that is that it makes Winona Ryder part of the weakest plot in the movie. When it's when everything is crazy and like Wolfman and blood and gore and Van Helsing hamming it up and all, I'm in. When it's about uh, investing myself on the love story between Dracula and Mina, I'm out. Uh, and all I can think of is just man, what a bitch. Like, <laughs> Keanu Reeves just went through hell and she is two-timing him with this random stranger. And I understand that the justification is that Dracula has some sort of hold over her, but the movie yeah. doesn't go that way. The movie decides to focus on some sort of connection they have rather than, oh, this is a monster that's taking advantage of a woman. So, uh, so for all those reasons, whenever you got to the end and you have that moment, it would just bother me that the end is kind of a reunion of the lovers and giving Dracula that last moment of, I guess, humanity where his former lover kills him and all that stuff. Uh, Now, because I'm older, I guess, and because I love the actor so much, now it works a little better for me. Uh, And because I finally got the meaning of that line that that when our writer tells Keanu Reeves, and I think that she delivers it really well. Uh, I wish that 
she had more moments like that. <laughs> but she doesn't, and it's not her fault. It's just the way that the story is, is structured and built. You know, when she's professing her love for Dracula, when, you know, right before she drinks his blood or as she's drinking his blood, that should be like a huge moment. And I think she plays it about as well as she can play it. But she's handicapped by the script because I don't buy it. I, and I don't buy it before because of her performance. I don't buy it because of everything that has happened before. So Yeah, uh, I just kind of read it as her, she's just supposed to be the nucleus of the story, basically. She's just supposed to stay put right where she is and the rest of the parts are supposed to move around her. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much what happens. Yeah, uh, apparently in the in the novel, I have a friend who wrote a Dracula adaptation, like a screenplay, and uh, she let me read an early draft, and I was like, wow, like Mina is a lot more hands-on in this version of the story. And and I thought that was my friend's take on the story. I thought, oh, I like that Mina, in, in your story, Mina is just constantly kind of, she's part of the gang. She's not just left behind to while while the men take care of business and and then she was telling me no that's actually how it is in the novel <laughs> and the novel mm-hmm. mina is constantly picking up on clues and and kind of suggesting strategies to take care of dracula which is why he goes after her because he figures out that she's basically the brains of the operation not van helsing <laughs> oh yeah that's not you know obviously in this movie it's just oh let's make an epic love story between dracula and and mina <laughs> let's see how that turns out and like I said, Coppola, Coppola was just like, all right, but can we have lots of sex? Do we have boobs? <laughs> lots of boobs. Lots of just squirting blood. Yeah. Good to go. But yeah, I I, I wish Winona had had more to do. I think that from what she's asked, she does great. And, you know, she, I think with a better script, she could have done better even. Yeah. Uh, so what would be your score? What would you give it? Um. I'm going to settle surprisingly because I, I thought I was scoring lower, but I think this is a four out of five. I I had such a good time last night watching it. I It's such a feast of filmmaking. I think even if yeah. I think that that's why it survives the, the fact that, it, that I don't really care for, for the overall thrust of the story. Watching it, just uh, the way that Coppola has staged things, that the, 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 the production design, the just the bananas choices that he's gone with. Uh, I know I keep coming back to the fucking Wolfman having sex with Sadie Frost, but that's just so <laughs> outrageous out there. But at the same time, it makes perfect sense in the middle of that movie that he's making, you know? So I, I appreciate it. I, I think he, he just swings for the fences numerous times, like the entire runtime and he connects yeah. more often than not. So it's it's a hell of an experience. I think that you you can watch it and you may not like it or you may love it, but whatever the case, you're not gonna forget it. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah, as you said, or as you mentioned your personal experience, I had a great time watching it. And also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a movie with all practical effects is a very quick way to my heart. Uh, it's preposterous. It's big and loud and dumb. Uh, if you take it too seriously, I could see where you may your expectations may fall. But uh, yeah, I'd give it like a B minus is what I was thinking, which sounds fairly comparable to what you gave it. Definitely would want to watch it again. Likely we'll pick it up to own. So yeah. Get that laser disc. A, yes, there you go. <laughs> I think that's a, a double endorsement from the contrarians on uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Oh, I told you I was uh, I was going to answer the question I asked at the end of Contrarian's Corner, which is like, what happens next? And uh, the one of the deleted scenes is the alternate ending and it shows that after killing Dracula, Mina just walks out of the castle 
and they're still waiting for her. And then she embraces Keanu and they kiss. And I mean, it's fine. I I think that that ending makes it a lot clearer that she was not on, on her right mind through most of it and that really killing Dracula frees her and that they do get a happy ending of sorts, her and Jonathan. But they didn't go for that. I'm fine with the end they have now. I mean, I think it's just, it's cleaner, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, he dies, end of movie. It's much cleaner. <laughs> the Dracula. Just call it Dracula. Yeah. As we talked about on the podcast, that's that's the way filmmaking should be. The climax happens and it's over. That's the way you make movies. All right. So that was Dracula. At least Francis Ford Coppola's version of it. Uh, <laughs> Coppola's version of Bram Stoker's version of Dracula. What is next in the summer of Winona? All right. Hashtag ride or die. Hashtag Winona virus 2020. Summer of Winona month three. We head over. We start July with episode 111. The Dilemma. 24% run Tomatoes. Released in 2011. The Dilemma. Vince Vaughn and Kevin James in a comedy directed by Ron Howard. Good God. <laughs> Channing Tatum's in it. Oh, and yeah. Queen Latifah. <laughs> oh, and it's a Ron Howard movie, so you know who absolutely has a spot in it. Uh, Baby Howard. Clint Howard. Clint Howard. I don't remember what he plays, but yeah, I've seen that movie once. It's, uh, I mean, 24%. We'll see. <laughs> we will absolutely see. But it was one of those movies that I remember just kind of. I saw the trailer and going like, oh, Winona Ryder's in this? I haven't seen her in anything in forever. So it, it was at that point in her career. Well, we will cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, uh, before we move along to plugs to close out the episode, we have some housekeeping to take care of. Uh, since we hit our goal uh, on the live stream for The Cure of the money we wanted to raise, we like tiered out what our uh, what we would do if we hit a certain amount of donations and we hit all four of them. So uh, no timetable, but we do have four bonus episodes coming. I imagine one or two of these will likely end up being commentary tracks, but uh, we have on the horizon at some point in time, we, uh, we wanted to keep it as sexy as possible in theme with sliver. So uh, Jade indecent proposal showgirls and crash. No, not the Academy award winner crash. Not the uh, movie of racial strife and tension in America, but uh, the movie about the sexual side of car wrecks with uh, James Spader <laughs> from 1997. That old chestnut, the sexual part of car wrecks. Uh, yeah, James Spader. Uh, 1996. Uh, Casey Jones, once again. Hell yeah. Holy Hunter. The movie that I learned what NC-17 meant because of. Because I saw it in a newspaper. I don't know why I remember this as vividly as I do, but I remember I saw an ad for it in a newspaper and the little rating thing said NC-17 and I had never seen that before. So my mom or my dad had to tell me what it meant. 17 what? Uh, it was a, yeah. It was the first movie ever that where I experienced a walkout. Not by myself. My friends and I were watching it and uh, halfway through the movie, a bunch of people like got up and left. We'll, uh, I know exactly which scene too, but uh, we'll discuss it when we finally do the episode. Whenever we get around to it. Yeah. Just, Does James Spader go full frontal in that? I don't think so. I think I would remember. I don't even think Holy Hunter uh, goes frontal of any kind, full of, or partial. I think that the ones taking the hits are uh, Elias Cotes and uh, I think it's Deborah Unger, the 
blonde actress from it but uh, either way it's it's just i mean it, it it's a fitting finale to this sexy quartet um cronenberg was just sitting behind the camera twiddling his thumbs watching on in awe it's just oh i, so, I see your dracula francis and i raise you a crash <laughs> I, I raise you a crash all the effects also practical in that movie <laughs> all right so yeah those will come not necessarily today. Not today. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But eventually those will come. Yeah, probably like post-quarantine once we've, we're getting back into the swing of normality, if that's possible. But we say that to thank you all for helping us reach those goals. That was really exciting. Um, so plugs, our regular plugs, our perennial plugs. The festive years provide our opening and closing tracks, as well as some supplemental music for the summer of Winona. TheFestiveYears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend Hans Rothgieser, for all your Hans Rothgieser needs, you can go to uh, his website, mildemonios.p, M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S. He's the man behind our logo. He's the mind behind uh, three Peruvian podcasts, two of them in Spanish. Busy man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he also writes novels. He's an economist, like I mentioned in the last episode. <laughs> He he does it all. So uh, you can contact him on Twitter also at Mildemonios. And uh, you can email him at Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. Uh, check out his podcast, Nación Combi and uh, Marginal. Uh, those are the ones in Spanish. One's about uh, proving current affairs. The other one is about economy. It's kind of like economy for dummies. He also has a podcast in English, Living in Peru, about immigrants to Peru. Uh, check out all his work. He is a busy man for you, for the people. And last but certainly not least, we have to give a shout out to our social media guru, Zoe Perez. Specifically, our Instagram game has been heightened significantly since she came on board and helping us out. Um, makes those interactive uh, posts for y'all. And yeah, I always pop huge when one of our new posts shows up in my feed. Makes me very happy. So uh, my only plug for this episode is I finished Dead to Me last week. And I know I've talked about that show ad nauseum on here. It's so easy to binge. I understand I've talked about uh, Ozark quite a bit, but that show is an investment. You know, some episodes of that show are fucking an hour and a half long. Dead to Me is like 22 minutes. Some episodes go as high as 32 minutes, but it's so easy to binge. It's remarkable junk food television, as I like to say. And <laughs> I was it was one of those finales. It was like... So when season three of Ozark ended, I was glad it was over because I need time to collect myself. When yeah. Dead to Me ended, I was like mad that there wasn't a new season right now. Like I was I just like, <laughs> I want it right now. So, uh, yeah, it's on Netflix. I'm sure you've heard about it. If you're listening to a podcast like this, you've had to have heard about it. And I mean, Linda Cardellini can do no wrong. That team up, it's uh, Cardellini and uh, Applegate, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, I would imagine that's enough to get anybody like. The only way that you wouldn't watch this show is if you don't like either of those actresses. I'm sure. And if they like don't get exist. you, James Marsden's going to reel you right in. <laughs> and then second season, you get Natalie Morales in there. It's, it's all what? good stuff. So watch Dead to Me. Julio, you have anything for the masses? Yes, I have. So I have two plugs. Uh, my first plug, Alex, you're probably sick of this because this is the third time I'm going to try to plug this podcast. Uh, <laughs> the guys from Cold 45, I've I've cut them out of our, our episodes twice, uh, primarily because of length. 
right? It was it was one of the things where I I was like, okay, we're running so long, we need to cut stuff. And I, I usually, you know, one of the first places I go to after we've cut like anything, any mistakes that we've made is just plugs, right? Especially mm-hmm. mine. I was like, okay, did I just talk about a show that I can plug some other time? I'll do it. So in this case, uh, I did because of that. But also because both times I've been after the fact and as I was hearing it, I was pretty unhappy with the way I plugged them. Uh, the first time, a so uh, the show is is these two guys, they're black and they're really funny and they talk about movies, right? So that that's that's the pitch. They talk about cult movies, I guess. That's what their name is, Cult Forty Five. But the first time we plugged them, I I was all about how black they were and how like <laughs> how much fun it was to listen to like a podcast by two black dudes that were just like constantly pointing out things from a point of view that's different than mine. And then as I was listening to the plug, as I was editing, I was like, man, I sound like a bit of an asshole because I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not really focusing on how funny they are. I'm just focusing on the fire and the fact that they're black. So I cut it. And I was like, next time I'll do better. I plugged them again last time on the Reality Bites episode. Did not even mention that they were black. I erred the other way <laughs> because, <laughs> because, and I remember thinking as I was like speaking, I especially with everything else that's going on in the world right now, I felt I was afraid of sounding like like one of those guys that kind of pulls in his black friend. I was like, hey, look, look, see how I'm not racist because I have a black friend. And I, I, I kind of, I was afraid of sounding like a guy that's like doing some sort of virtue signaling by saying, hey, I listen to like, you know, this black podcast and a lot to plug. Anyway, let's get it right the third time. Cold 45, a podcast, really funny, Two black dudes, they made a lot of jokes that I or you could not get away with because we're not black. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they make them, they're really funny and they're really insightful. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and of course, none of that would matter if they were not entertaining, but they are. And uh, I've heard them talk about The Terminator. I've heard them talk about uh, Spider-Man. I've heard them talk about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's just, you know, they have a really huge back catalog and and... That's that's my first recommendation. Just go and look up Cold Forty Five and go down their catalog, and uh, you're gonna have a blast. So, I'm just committing. Even if this episode was like three hours long, I'm keep keeping that plug in because I'm not doing it again. Hell yeah! <laughs> uh, my second plug is is a uh, uh, video game, much like you and your video games exploits. I've been. I, I think I made a little secret. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I've been. My quarantine game was has been The Witcher, and I finally finished uh, The Witcher Three. The Wild Hunt. I finished it nice. uh, uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, not all the way. I still have two expansions to get through. Plus, uh, they have this feature that's called New Game Plus, where basically after you finish the game, you can start a new game, but you keep all your uh, all your items and your your potions and everything that you learned in the previous game. So, uh, but also the enemies are leveled up to the level you are. So it's not oh. like you're just going and destroying everything. It's 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 still a challenge. You just have more uh, more resources, so to speak. Uh, anyway, love it. I'm not the gamer that you are. I, I uh, you know, we've talked about this before. I and the games that I usually go for are games that don't require me to invest intellectually a lot. Just something that I can pick up, play for a couple of hours, and then maybe not worry about it again for like a month. Uh, the Witcher is an investment because there's a story, there's multiple stories that you have to follow, and you you make decisions that affect the ending. Basically, I I was not aware as I was playing that some things that I was doing were going to have ramifications way down the line, and uh, so 
after I was at finished the game, I was looking up stuff online. I realized that there's many different endings, and I kind of lucked out, or or maybe not, maybe just you know I'm a good gamer. I don't know. I got like <laughs> probably the the best possible ending I could have gotten for for a certain character. Uh, so that was cool. Um, but just I don't know. It's been kind of uh, eye opening to actually play a game like this as opposed to just hearing about it. I mean, all this time, all these years, I've known that the gaming industry has been you know, moving forward. Uh, and not waiting for me and yeah. now i'm just I was say time you know, to catch up old man. <laughs> yeah now i've experienced it i was like man that was awesome that was you know th- when you end like the story is not just an excuse for the for the gameplay the story had like something to say and it had twists and turns and arcs uh and and even and left a lot of stuff unex- uh, you know unexplored to where i want to go back and just try different avenues see what else happens so uh it's it's amazing. I I am fully aware that I'm arriving at this realization way after the fact. Well, you know, I'm sure that people have raved about The Witcher and about the current generation of video games, you know, much sooner than I have. But uh, it's still just so you know, I'm I'm there now. <laughs> I don't know when I'm gonna have the time to play a game like this and be as invested as I was uh, the past few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as we are recording, it looks like I'm heading back to some sort of work routine uh similar to what i had before so uh, it might be back to just fighting games and uh and guitar here and rock band for me for a while but uh anyway pick up and plays yes they'll pick up and plays but still if you have the time uh, and you do less things than i do and you have more free time uh and for some reason you haven't caught up on the on the video gaming revolution of storytelling i would say definitely give it a shot be like alex uh, i feel like every time that you tell me about a new game it sounds like one of those games where you have to just pay attention <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah that i mentioned in our last episode i'm playing through la noir i'm getting deeper into that so i'll have uh, yep. an eventual update on that so excellent so that concludes this episode of the contrarians that concludes bram stroke that concludes bram stoker's dracula uh next episode is absolutely going to be a dilemma but uh we'll cross that bridge when we get there in the interim once again we appreciate y'all listening to contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time